The Incomparable is brought to you by Level Up, a monthly mystery apparel subscription from Loot Crate. You can get two different pairs of high-quality socks, one or two fashionable accessories, or a premium wearable item, and there's a theme every single month. December's theme is Galaxy with Star Wars items. Go to LootCrate.com slash Incomparable to learn more and use code Incomparable to save 10%. And this very special episode also brought to you by our friends at Cards Against Humanity who ask you to enjoy the show. Now, why is it special? Wait for the music. The Incomparable, number 277, December 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. It's finally here after many years and many podcasts devoted to a film that had not yet opened and that we had not yet seen. It has opened and we have seen it. And so in the first of our perhaps endless series of episodes about Star Wars The Force Awakens, I am joined by three people who, with whom I've been talking about this film since before it had a name or a director. <laughs> uh, Dan Morin, Hello. You talk first. I talk first. You, you talk. It's hard to tell with the whole. <laughs> nobody else. Also joining me, of course, Serenity Caldwell. Hello, Droid. Please. <laughs> Beep, boop, boop. <laughs> and uh, and also here, I wouldn't do this without John Syracuse. Hello. You know these Star Wars movies don't need a director or a name; they just need a number, and that's enough <laughs> for us to hang our hat on. A Roman numeral. That's all we need. Were there Roman numerals a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away? Let's ponder. No, there weren't. They're not in the movie. They're only in the crawl. The crawl is written by people who are... The crawl is canonical, Jason. I won't hear another word. <laughs> the crawl... Yeah, but it's not from a galaxy far, far away. It's uh, The crawl oh. is for us. Anyway, that is too existential. That'll be another episode that we'll do probably next, like, Thursday. Um, <laughs> so, anybody have any <laughs> opening statements? John? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ren, anybody? I, sure. I am, uh, the opening statements uh, box is open now. Who would like to give a statement? I will give a statement. All right. So I, my my statement is just, it's a Star Wars movie, guys. <laughs> it is a movie, um, without going into detail, which we'll go into very shortly, it is a film that feels like it belongs in the Star Wars universe it made me feel like I was watching Star Wars the entire time. I had the same stupid grin as I do when I watch the original trilogy. It feels it feels like a Star Wars movie. And that was the that was my number one criteria going in is that I I wanted it to feel like a Star Wars movie. It didn't have to be beautiful, it didn't have to be perfect, but I wanted to have that energy and I th- on that it has fulfilled I, I agree. I was I was thinking this is sort of the, the people who like the prequels are going to hate this, but it's the first Star Wars movie in 32 years. Uh, John, do you have an opening statement? I do. I was going to let Dan go first. Oh, oh I can, I can, Dan, I can do you have an opening quick. statement? Does everybody sure, have I, an opening I, statement but me? Uh, why not? I like to make mine up on the spot. Uh, that's the, that's been the trend lately. So now now all I'm doing that's is trying true. to stay out the last. You get spot. the last spot. Now you, as yeah, the instigator of the opening statements, you get the you get the coveted <laughs> final instigator. Attack. That's, that's the verb you're going to use? Instigator, in, or, innovator, no. Guys, we're on inventor, a schedule here. We've whatever. only got 32 more hours of podcasting to do. Okay, Dan! Let's, let's get this Yes, snappy. that's right. We've, the, it's the telethon. For the next 40 uh, hours, yeah. we'll be here. Dan, Please phone in. What, what, would, what would you like to say? Uh, I would like to say that I, um, 
I really, I, I really enjoyed this movie, and I agree that you know, for the first time in decades, it t- did feel like I was watching a Star Wars movie. What I'm most fascinated by is this as the launch pad for this next, this you know, latest chapter in the Star Wars franchise saga, depending on how you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, having seen this movie, I'm. I think there's some injury choices which we'll go into discussing, but yep. I think I'm I'm actually really kind of jazzed to see what the rest of this trilogy looks like because, mm. uh, yeah, they've raised some very interesting things. But it, overall, it was fun. It's a lot. F- I would argue it might be funnier than any other Star Wars movie hmm. um, intentionally. Sorry, not including the prequels, which are hilarious, <laughs> but uh, I think it might be the most intentionally funny of any of the Star Wars movies, which I which is a weird feeling um and most of all it is weird to go into a brand new star wars movie that i've only seen once that was good uh i don't like that's just a weird feeling to have right now but it's generally a pleasing feeling john take it away (laughs) yep all right um so this is just we're recording this one day after seeing this movie for the first time after a very long build-up i I was in the theater 24 hours ago right now watching it for the first time oh yeah yep same here so it's kind of hard for me to get a handle on in terms of like the grandiose opening statements that I had like prepared for years. For years, like, yeah. Empire, Empire Strikes <laughs> Back <Decades>. or whatever. <laughs> All right. So just to, to give this context, go ahead, counselor. You know. And and I'll give a longer like summary assessment. I'm sure we all will of the of the movie at the end sure. after we've discussed all the spoilers and everything. But if you want like a spoiler free capsule review, here's what I'd say. Uh, Force Awakens is a good movie with many small problems, none of which over- overwhelm its essential goodness. Uh, the thought I keep coming back to, which doesn't really make any sense, but it's stuck in my head, is the world is safe for Star Wars movies again. Mm. Uh, the, the Force Awakens is just, you know, the opening move in, in what will be a steady stream of new movies in this universe. It's respectful of its origins. It's competently made. It opens far more doors than it closes. And it makes me excited about Star Wars again. And you could say, what what more could a Star Wars fan ask for? Well, I could ask for a hell of a lot more, but <laughs> what we got is pretty good. And I will um, I say I lied. I do have an opening statement, but it's actually very similar to John's, which is I think I feel like this film had a couple of jobs it had to do because, yes, it's a work of art and they're acting and crafts that are involved. But it's also uh, the first uh, film release from uh, Disney after buying Lucasfilm for billions of dollars. So it has to do, I think, two jobs. One of the jobs is it needs to feel like Star Wars and make people like Star Wars movies uh, again and make them feel like they did when the original Star Wars movies um, were were released. It needs to have that Star Warsiness about it, right? And job number two is it needs to set this thing up as an ongoing venture. So it needs to look backward and tie into the past, but also build uh, for the future. And those are tricky and you do too much of one and it's a nostalgia trip and not much more. And you do too much of the other and you leave maybe the existing fan base waiting by the door. Uh, and what I would say about this before we blow the spoiler horn is it did both jobs. Uh, it did the jobs it needed to do. And the result is a movie that was extremely enjoyable. I liked it a lot, but I'm impressed by the fact that it managed to walk that line between uh, you know, fan service for the people who love Star Wars and know it by heart and leaving the story at a point where you're thinking more about the future than the past for maybe the first time since Return of the Jedi came out. So that's my opening statement. Should we fire off the spoiler horn now? Or the yeah. no, nobody wants to talk about spoilers. 
<laughs> let's just pretend can we, that we can, can let's we talk, talk about, about our the anticipation more. Let's talk about the, yeah, no, let's talk let's analyze that trailer now that we've seen the movie. That we was can, such a good trailer. You could talk Do you like that trailer, John? How I love that? that trailer was awesome. I'm so glad I didn't watch it, but boy, that was a good trailer. Pretty good trailer. Yeah. It was it was Since I can't watch the movie again at home, I'll just watch the trailer again. <laughs> It's a pretty good, pretty good trailer. Pretty good trailer. All right, here it goes. We're firing off the spoiler horn. If you have not seen, I don't know how this is possible. Why are you listening? This Force Awakens. Don't listen any further unless you're a, a bad person who likes spoilers. All right. Luke Skywalker has vanished. <laughs> Luke Skywalker has I was vanished. Super excited, by the way, because that had, that was one of those tidbits that had s- somehow made its way into my consciousness. There was all this like, "Where's Luke?" stuff. Mark Hamill tweeted a great picture of him reading USA Today that had like a story, "Where's Luke?" and it's like him peeking over the paper. Yeah, I, I saw um, that picture, and and the, how it managed not to spoil me was because I thought the whole like meme after I quickly scrolled past it was the idea that hey he's not in the poster, the poster. and he's not in the mm-hmm. trailer and it's yeah. like oh they're holding him back cuz you know JJ's all about like withholding that's what I thought it was about like oh you're not going to see him till you get to see the real movie haha <laughs> well but that's true that's it's it's kind of a little bit of both it's not a it's as much teasing as it is actual yeah I think I had heard rumors about the fact that as a character, he is supposedly missing at this yep. point in time, or maybe I had stumbled across something nope, by accident. I, I and so, no idea about that, but I love like the the opening of this crawl. I, how how else could you better open this crawl? Because he is the one most he's the most important character in the Star Wars right, universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And and the first sentence is he has vanished. It's like, well. There you got stakes immediately. Isn't immediately. that cool? And it was it was good yep. from the perspective of feeling like worrying I was going to be spoiled to be like, oh, that's right up front. I feel like I didn't really learn that much. That's great. Okay, we're starting there. Right, and you're already you're already invested in that because you care that Luke Skywalker has vanished. Why would you not? You know exactly who that is. He had three movies, and he's like super important. Yeah, yeah. It's much better than some of the other crawls that we could talk about. <laughs> no, it's great. Made it through the first sentence of the crawl, guys. Good yep. news. Mm-hmm. There are no trade disputes in the crawl. No, it's it's. I, I was struck by that. Um, uh, while we were st- uh, afterward, Lauren uh, told me that she she had that moment when she was sitting there, and I'm, I'm sure we all had this at some point in the movie where you're like, for her it was, I don't know what the next words are going to be. Like as yeah. it said, episode seven, she's like, oh wow, I don't know what's in the crawl, which is a, a and for me it was, I don't know what. Uh, what's gonna what we're gonna see when the crawl is over and we pan down famously mm-hmm. as you do in all the Star Wars movies? Mm-hmm. Um, anything more? Anything more about the crawl? I guess yes, the the we, conf- we I think it. this is the first sort of somewhat problematic issue is the uh, the one thing that I feel like the, this movie doesn't have a good hand on is the like sort of galactopolitical <laughs> like situation because like there's a republic not enough politics for you Aiden. but it's ba- yeah I need some trade negotiations please Maybe no a uh, senate chamber I, but there's a republic but it's backing a resistance that is like it's a secretly backing thing, but, a resistance yeah, apparently but it's yeah, uh, that's oh. not really up it ends up being kind of weirdly a point but also not really a point it's very odd it's I'm a weird movie spend a lot of time it, on. yeah i mean the movie did not spend a lot of time on it i am sure that there were scenes at some point that were cut um but regardless i don't think that it made that much of a difference in the plot it's just for those of us who like lots and lots of little world building tidbits um, and I cannot believe we're complaining about government after complaining for three episodes uh-huh. about how the prequel focused too much on it. Uh, but I think that the amount of hand-waving there is actually all right, especially I'm, – I'm trying to put myself back in the mindset of original trilogy, right, where – 
when we didn't have Empire and we didn't have Jedi as like, these are the things that come next and we know about this. And I'm like, does the does the um, the political situation make sense in in A New Hope? Yeah. I mean, they talk a lot about the Galactic Senate and the Senate not being there anymore. And then there are things and there's a rebel alliance, despite the fact that there's a Senate. Like there's there's some stuff there that I feel like is not necessarily equally confusing, but I don't blame Abrams for glossing over it, especially because we got three movies of trade negotiations. Like we might hear more about the geopolitical spectrum in the next movie, which would be okay. Or knowing Ryan Johnson, it might just be about characters and like weird dream sequences. And I'd be okay with that too. I think my point was more that it could have, I think it could have been simplified further. Um, And that was just adding a third party there with the Republic, the First Order and the Resistance was just kind of an odd decision for me. Again, not enough to hamper any of my general like liking of this movie overall. It was just one of those things where I kind of it took me out of things. Yeah, my only my only um reason for that for for saying, "Oh, well, it sort of makes sense." Is there is a point in the movie, spoiler horn, um where the capital of the Republic is theoretically blown up. Yep. Um yep. and that that becomes a lot harder to explain if it's just the Republic and the First Order fighting each other because then it's like, "Well, the capital of the Republic was blown up, but Princess Leia and and the General Leia and her base was not blown up." And there's other stuff. Um but there was the majority of the fleet was blown up, but also not the this fleet so why why weren't they on the like there there are potential plot holes there that i think would also be confusing from a different angle the long answer or i guess the short answer is they wanted to reset back to like now yes. there's a scary big first order and the tiny bit of scrap well, resistance but they, they needed yeah. something for the big weapon to hit mm-hmm. so if yeah, the republic isn't there as a target which is a problem i think later in the movie the whole republic it's like well you know we don't have to explain too much about the republic because don't get too attached to the republic yeah. because <laughs> yeah. just, just wait about 55 minutes and then the republic but but on the other hand if there's no republic what the hell does the super weapon hit they don't even know at that point where the resistance is like well we know where the republic planets are we could take them out and so that's that's structurally a little bit problematic but i think uh, you're right that eventually it's like we want to we want to reset to scrappy factions because that's more that's more exciting and that's why it do, it kind of doesn't matter um because in the end when you're watching the movie you kind of revert to star wars terms which is there are stormtroopers flying those ships and they're bad and then there are the rebels essentially flying these ships and they're good and the other details kind of don't matter um even though and perhaps are the business for ancillary material. But I, I agree that if you think about it, it's a little distracting. And the reason that it's still in there is exactly what John said. It's like you, you need to have something to be threatened. And the, you know, the Alderaan proxy in this story yeah. is the, the, the home planets of the, of this, of this Republic. But I think if you look at the ancillary material, they talk about it a little more. The idea that there was a, you know, after Return of the Jedi, the galaxy kind of got, carved in two where there were places where the empire sort of still held sway and there are places right. where the where the yeah. republic kind of took it back over and then the first order is sort of a a, a movement that is trying to a splinter group yeah, yeah. that's right. trying to take over uh you know it's like a it's almost like a dark jedi uh, a sith-like splinter group trying to reassert the power of the old empire and so it's kind of a four-party 
conflict yeah, which here. is which is super again which you know, is I'm I, glad that's not you know talked about a lot in the movie because yeah, that's too much I, politics I feel like I could have done with a sentence or two here or there but again fairly minor nitpick and I, I just think back to some of our earlier podcasts like theorizing what it's going to be please see ancillary material that yeah. we have provided the appendix B. um about like oh well what has happened since like because it's so hard to mop up all that like remaining empire after the death star is gone right like they can't just give up right and so i i guess i i was looking forward to a little bit of that explanation of like what what the hell happened well but that's the said about opening more doors than it closes though because like sure when you watch this movie what my wife said and what i thought as well was like they can have prequels to these movies. Yeah, like, exactly. These movies are yeah. set up for prequels. It's like, oh, this happens after Return of the Jedi. It's like, yeah, but with enough room between where you could have prequels to be like, oh, I want to see the battle, the battle of Chukwu and understand what the whole, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. you, you could have, have standalone. Them. You can have standalones, I think. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of the yeah. books and comics books, are, comics, are set. games are in, in this yeah. in this in this open space. Uh, yeah, so there's a crawl and it has lots of politics in it that are very much like, okay, politics. Anyway, uh, let's, let's move on to <laughs> the movie and the movie takes us to this, uh, shot of, uh, Jakku, which is a planet where there's a lot of garbage because there was a space battle there a long time ago. And, uh, the opening shot we get is of a, uh, galactic, uh, what is it? Like a star destroyer that's, uh, that's, uh, in silhouette. And then you Inverted, see the ships yeah. and then you see the ships coming out of it and into the light. And that's I thought that was a really uh, clever uh, image that we haven't seen before in these in these Star Wars. It's a very J.J. Abrams image. Um, it's we, similar I mean, to the one that's right before the opening credits in Star Trek, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very different angle than we've gotten on Star Wars opening crawls before. And I I was a little thrown out of it. I'm like, wait a second. There are two planets and we're coming from below. Oh, OK. But it's, it's a nice it's a nice way, I think, of entering this universe of saying, like, this is a Star Wars film. But also this is very much J.J. Abrams's Star Wars film. This isn't, um, your par- this isn't your your parents' Star Wars film. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have dimensions, guys. <laughs> Time for a brief break. Let me send you a message from our good friends at Cards Against Humanity. It is an honor and privilege for us at Cards Against Humanity to sponsor this very special episode of The Incomparable. At the time of recording, we have not actually seen the new Star Wars movie, but we want to send our congratulations on a wonderful film that is sure to become an instant classic. Our condolences on the death of a film franchise that meant so much to us as kids, or our middling satisfaction at a safe reboot that met the bare minimum of our own insane expectations. We were either impressed that J.J. Abrams was able to show us inventive new worlds and characters, or we were really disappointed to see Disney strip mine all the remaining joy out of a bunch of tired old tropes. At least the visual effects were either incredible or just okay. This movie either made us feel like kids again or ruined our childhoods once and for all, but either way, we'll be excited to hear about it on The Incomparable. Thanks to our friends at Cards Against Humanity. I'm going to say the first of what is uh, sure to be many controversial statements involving the prequels in this uh, podcast, but I think that uh, the o- the opening crawl pan down and next like three to five seconds of film or whatever of the prequels feel more like traditional star wars than this one does not that this one is bad but i think you're right that it's like jj putting his stamp on it but if you go like what feels like what feels like classic george lucas traditional star wars 
the pan down from the opening crawl in episodes one, two, and three, one hundred percent all feel exactly like like classic traditional original mm. trilogy Star Wars to me. This one did not feel like that, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think it's going to be a theme for this entire movie. I think is like that, that what I talked about in the past thing. It has to feel like Star Wars. It's feeling like Star Wars, like Ren said, like oh, this is a Star Wars movie, and it's feeling like Star Wars as in it feels like the original trilogy. And I don't think it has to or it should feel exactly like the original trilogy, but it really shows like you know it 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 wakes you up, and you know the subsequent scene that we will discuss wakes you up as well to say this is Star Wars, but it is not the Star Wars that you remember. It is not going to be yeah. so tied down to the original trilogy mindset because seriously just go pull up episodes one two and three and watch the first seven seconds after the crawl they feel mm-hmm. so freaking star warsy <laughs> those, and those are such great star wars movies if you only watch the first seven yeah, seconds and then, the and then stop and you know eject and, don't read the crawl <laughs> just the just the part after the crawl yeah the initial and, and, imagery yeah. yeah and i'm not sure if visually speaking that's the most the, the strongest thing because a lot of theaters are dark and you don't get a lot of shadow detail and so i'm not that big of a fan of the particular opening shot but that's it's a minor detail i think the opening the other thing is the opening set piece of you know the stormtroopers and all that stuff again seemingly intentional uh move away from the way star wars was shot the things you normally mm-hmm. see the subject matter I mean, we immediately uh, jason you mentioned earlier like the whole like there's bad guys and good guys these movies immediately go into gray areas that none of the original trilogy touched well the fact that stormtroopers are people yeah. <laughs> with motive yeah, people, and people with thoughts and feelings and mm-hmm. who are who are going to eventually be involved in the plot of this movie in a non-trivial way as opposed to being you know either clones or cookie cutter things yeah yep yeah. it's really interesting and for he, for me, this is where the um, I'm not going to call it necessarily a rewriting, but the homages to New Hope start uh, because you even even from the from the very beginning, you've got the inversion of the the Star Destroyer type uh, type ship, and then you immediately go into the hangar with with stormtroopers. So instead of seeing the you know the people preparing for a stormtrooper attack, we actually get. The stormtroopers. We get a close up of a bunch of stormtroopers in a hangar as they're speeding down to the planet's surface, um, which is, as you guys were saying, it's like it's it's already such a interesting subversion. The idea that oh yeah, we're actually going to spend some time with with the troopers on a or like we're we're going to spend a um, micro level interaction with the dark side and the evil empire slash first order. Because there, I mean, there's always been scenes with the dark side uh, folks, but it's never been, it's never been personal stuff unless it's the empire, the emperor, and um, Darth Vader. It's always been kind of like, yeah, the empire is this big giant glob o people, um, and individualizing them very quickly is fascinating, um, especially as we get to Jakku. And individualizing also the infantry, because I feel like in the original trilogy, you spent some time with characters who had medals on their chests, and they had, you know, minor personality traits and, you know, boardroom squabbles and uh, brushes with death while talking to Vader and various other things that, that made them interesting. But once you got down to the rank and file, those movies were not interested in... Except for maybe, did you see the, you know, those two stormtroopers talking to each other about the whatever it was, the new speeders and stuff and a new hope. Um, but, <laughs> Books but, are droids. <laughs> yeah, but this one seems much more interested in making you recognize that, you know, that, that 
everybody has their reasons even the rank and file stormtroopers like they're so angry at finn later because he's a traitor and that they have lines lines they're not there they are go get them blast them you know what i mean like they're yeah that there are clearly people with feelings inside these suits and it's emphasized by saying maybe we should have a clone army the interesting thing to me this is where i think that the exploration into the universe in the clone wars animated series and rebels actually has paid dividends in the main in the big Mm. star wars movies uh because i feel like Clone Wars, to a you know very specific extent, got into the lives of clone infantry and you know all of that. And I, it it, it there are parts of this movie that actually feel very much like animated series scenes to me in a in a great way. In a like, oh hey, we've learned from you know we've learned from our past prequel mistakes, and we have a good idea of how to how to shade more gray and how to show more about. Um, this world that we have heretofore kind of just glossed over. Yeah, it's kind of a shot across the bows in some way to make the characters have sort of individual personalities because it is hearkening more, you know, sort of like, let's not worry too much about, you know, clones. Even though I think I agree that the Clone War series does do a fantastic job of turning those individuals into characters. Um, You know, sort of the prequels never really dwelled on that too much. Um, and I think also, interestingly, from the, the Stormtroopers' perspective, you know, you think back to the original trilogy, and even though the Stormtroopers, as John mentioned, like a couple times, we catch them having conversations or what have you, and they seem to be distinct people you know with different personalities it's telling that we never really see any without their armor on even when like han and luke knock out the stormtroopers in the in a new hope and take their armor we don't see like the trust up stormtroopers right right? like we don't see faces you know we we have no idea those are always going to be faceless characters and Mm -hmm. um except well i mean with the exception really of finn here like we still don't really see much in the way of faces, but there are different, clearly like different characters under the helmets. There's men and women, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Phasma, like, not just Phasma, but like there's a, a part later where like a stormtrooper who reports to one of the other Imperials is is clearly a woman's voice. Uh, yeah, there's so different, like, different body types as well. Like you yeah, see, exactly. you said guys, you recognize the guy. I recognize that guy before with the the ammo across his chest or whatever. You know. Yep. Yep. So I mean, that is it is really interesting, and it's a good way of distinct like distinguishing itself from both the prequels. And the original trilogies, I find. There's a moment that mm-hmm. actually reminded me of uh, of the Robot Chicken Star Wars, where because <laughs> in the Robot Chicken Star Wars, you know, it's all about filling in the gaps between the scenes, the things we assume about these movies we've seen so many times, and it, and and how normal people would react to that. And there's a moment like that where uh, Kylo Ren is uh, mad that that Ray has escaped. And he's smashing up the interrogation room, yes. and the two <laughs> stormtroopers come around the corner and hear the explosion, and they're like slowly back then, away, right? Oh my god! Because they're they're, they're not dumb. They're like, oh, he's having a tantrum. We're gonna go. They're not, you know, they're not faceless, nameless drones. They may have only letters and numbers for their names, but they're, you know, they are still individuals under there, and they have to be because Finn, one of our main characters, is actually a stormtrooper, as we as we are about to find out. In my notes here, like I was trying to figure out how to break them up. I, like I had a section that was like good decisions and bad decisions. And then I just I, I realized that to just narrow it down to good, bad, whatever. Anyway, the first bullet point in my good section is the general treatment of all characters as real people. And that doesn't just include the bad guys. Old people are real people, young people, men, women, bad guys, good guys. There are minor Aliens. exceptions, which I'll complain about in a bit. But for the most part, the movie is amazingly good at treating everybody as a character, maybe not an important character, but there's almost nobody here who is categorically uh, pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, Jakku 
at night. Uh, we we discover uh, there's a conversation with it's Max von Sydow and Oscar Isaac, where Max von Sydow is handing over some information. This is in in the uh, the fact that this plot is sort of a, a remix of a bunch of existing mm-hmm. Star Wars plots. This is the these are the Death Star plans. This is the map to Luke Skywalker, and it's being handed over by Max von Sydow, who obviously has this uh, this history with uh with leia and the resistance and he's got this information and he's passing it on to oscar isaac who is poe dameron um her the best pilot in the in the resistance and he's gonna he and his uh droid bb-8 are going to take it away uh and uh and go back to the resistance except of course these stormtroopers that we just saw taking off they land and uh, a, be- a big uh, a big battle ensues. We get our first view of Kylo Ren here, who uh, stops a uh, a blaster blast in midair for a while, and then when he lets it go at the end, it it continues its path. Um, he ends up taking Poe Dameron back with him. Uh, we also we also meet a a stormtrooper who gets who sees one of his buddies uh, get killed, and the blood from his buddy's hand is on his. Uh, helmet which helps us identify which stormtrooper it is and he he refuses to participate in the slaughter of the uh, of the village and is obviously very disturbed and and not participating to the point where uh where kylo ren actually notices on his way back to to his shuttle yeah i'm interested by that choice because i i wondered at the time you know i think i read very much into that as some sort of possibly force related thing um could be and and I, I think that's still left kind of unclear as of the end of this movie, whether or not that is true. Um, but it definitely because they, they talk a little bit about, you know, his Finn later on in terms of his like all, how all the stormtroopers are conditioned and programmed from a very early age. Finn mentions he was taken away from his, his family. They never knew them. Um, and so you're kind of left wondering, like. Well, why why did he make this choice? If they're also brainwashed and conditioned, like what triggered that in him? Was it just seeing you know one of his his other comrades die, or is there something more going on? It is here? his first battle, he says. So yes. it, it, it's mm-hmm. not as if you know he's being exposed to this, but it's true. What makes him different, and what is Kylo Ren noticing there? Just his lack of participation, or is he noticing something else that is special about Finn in that moment? Because he certainly knows enough to know exactly what his. Uh, his number, his serial number is later when it's revealed that he has helped Poe escape from the Star Destroyer. A, a significant number, incidentally. Well, his behavior was noteworthy. Though, like, it was clear that he wasn't firing and his body language. That's yeah. why we could identify yeah. him when he was too far away for us to see the red things. We could identify him based on his body language. So I don't think you need to read anything into that. It's just, and also, it's it, there seems to be a precedent in the first order of like sometimes it doesn't take with the stormtroopers. So I said, oh, previously he had never had he demonstrated any non-compliant behavior before. Like it's a thing that they watch for apparently. So it's not it's not out of bounds that this would happen that the training wouldn't always be a hundred percent. So I think everything can be explained in universe in the movie mm-hmm. with him just being yet another one of those guys. It just so happens that this guy who had non-compliant problems. He was, I mean, he was sent down for like re-education. Like they have an HR policy on it already. Like, you know, send him down for yeah. whatever, reconditioning check, or whatever. Check, check his weapon and, uh, yeah. And, and send him down for reconditioning. Yeah, recondition he, he was, he was a little bit more resourceful than the other guys. He had a pilot ready for him and he, you know, he got out and ended up being a thorn in the side because he is, you know, he's different in that he's, more adventurous than the other guys. That said, I think you can also make a strong argument that a lot of the events that transpire in this movie happen 
as things that would be. So this is one of the things that I thought was interesting compared to, say, um, you know, JJ's Star Trek movie, right? The first Star Trek movie, I remember having complaints about how certain things are too coincidental. Kirk crash lands on a planet that is the same planet old Spock is on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in Star Trek, that doesn't always fly because there's such a heavy influence in like science and reason and rational thought and all that. Whereas in Star Wars, you do have the elements of the force. So you, I feel like there is a potentially compelling argument in that these things are happening to these people for reasons that are being dictated by the force the fact that they these characters meet each other or the fact that they find the millennium falcon not to jump too far ahead but like the fact the that force these is things, awakening yeah exactly i think that is exactly the point of this movie. i would say I that's not how the force works don't <laughs> <laughs> get out of the ship because not everything is because of the force. force is a great plot device because like as we enter later we have like flashbacks and flash forwards like that is explicitly explained exactly how the force works oh you'll see the past and the future and it's always in motion and it's like oh great we can go with that as the the ultimate plot device in any kind of movie it's like free foreshadowing and free backstory but um but at some point you have to just say like you know these are just people like there's no the force is not like fate right and so i don't know or is it though i mean that's i think that's an open discussion Well, Finn is an open question. We don't know. I just, I just think in this movie they weren't leaning heavily on any hints that Finn. And really, like you can't, everyone can't be force sensitive. You got to lay off a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see where the second movie goes. It's a good. Uh, there's a good uh, line here where uh, where uh, Poe Dameron says to Kylo Ren, "Which one of us talks first? Who talks? Who talks first here?" <laughs> that that was the first break in the in the movie. Like because yeah. when you're starting this movie, we got the crawl, we've got the little thing, we've got some serious talk about the map. Luke Skywalker, we're concerned about where Luke is and everything fight, is going fight, on. We should always be royalty, <laughs> right? And and then you you don't know where you're going with this yet, right? Until they chuck him down in front of you know Kylo Ren does all these scary things. That's cool. Lots of cool battles and shooting and BB-8. Go do this. Go do that. Very mm-hmm. serious. That's the first break in like cutting the tension and you know the first character to to joke to be snarky to not take his situation seriously to use humor as a defense against a very bad situation which is a tone that is extremely prevalent in the original trilogy and there's huge stretches of the prequels that are just straightforward and dour and serious and everyone is talking about plot points and super deep feelings and I'm nobody sorry is master like, I forgot you didn't like flying <laughs> yeah no, please. I, but there's also it's also a very modern sensibility as far as humor goes like I felt like this was a kind of line that you would see on like a like a like a Parks and Recreation sitcom or something like that which is which is fine again I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is like well you can't make a movie with you know even if it's Star Wars and there's a certain amount of timelessness to it you can't make a movie necessarily with the sensibilities of 1977 or 1980 that you in 2015 it just some stuff doesn't fly some stuff does but like and so i felt like the sense of humor in this is snarky and stuff which is tonally consistent but it even it felt even a little bit more not quite like break the fourth wall ridiculous in some ways but like and and i liked it don't get me wrong i enjoyed it i laughed i i like i said up front this is i think the funniest written star wars movie of all of them um and so i i thought that was a i did not expect it i think that's the other thing is like it was so snarky and so kind of like self-referential in some ways that it seemed surprising and jarring but it was still hilarious uh, it, it released tension for me because i was like oh like you know is this going to be like the prequels where it just takes Ultra itself earnest. seriously and, and it's it's, mm-hmm. li- it's relying on you know because you could be earnest the whole movie and be awesome like see the godfather right but you can be earnest the whole movie and just totally blow it. And so this ad is like, yeah, Star Wars is filled with humor. Like having just watched the original trilogy leading up to this, uh, you're just reminded of just it's it's not Simpsons level joke per minute, but it, it's like 
there's not a scene that goes by without one good singer or two good singers. And so you can't have just an entire opening sequence with nobody uh, saying that. Like, and, and it humanizes the characters and it, it lets us know that it's not going to be, it's not expecting you to be all dark and serious and gritty for the whole thing, that these are real people, that they, they're using humor as a defense and that things are, things are less formal. Like they should be less formal. The, the, the most formal is the Republic and the prequels. And then you got the, the, the rebellion. And this is just like leftover chaos and garbage and factions. And it would be even more informal. Like if, if this pilot Poe, of course he would be sarcastic and carefree. He's not even really in any kind of military outfit. He is he's in the resistance, which is even more, you know, informal than uh, you know, a rebel alliance. Yes, he's a roguish pilot for yes. a for a a roguish organization, right? And some fun backstory for people who have read um some of the tie-in novels and the comics is that um his parents, I believe, are both in a comic. Yeah. Um that's uh, right. about shortly after and they're both rebel alliance pilots. So Kid has basically grown up his entire life in let's fight the Rebel Alliance and be crack you know, crackerjack pilots, ace. Uh which is awesome. His his character is one of the we've talked about, you know, overall all of these characters having really beautiful kind of defined uh either arcs or just beings. They feel like three D three D people. Um and despite the fact Poe Dameron's probably in the in this movie the least of our three sort of new main characters, mm-hmm. but he is instantly recognizable as like, okay, I know who this person is and very quickly become despite the fact that he has very few lines and very very little uh scene time, he doesn't feel like an archetype. He actually feels like a person. Uh, and and I do think that some of some of the humor and some of the way that he interacts with BB-8 and with the other characters really goes a long way into making him a shaded person, even though he doesn't have a ton of screen time. Yeah, we get most of his time here, uh, where he uh, he has that that uh, that line about who talks first um, and all of that, and then we see him in the interrogation where he is he has obviously survived a lot of interrogation already. And uh, is kind of mocking Kylo Ren about it. Uh, you got to do a better job. And then he gets kind of forced and we see him gr- groaning under the strain. And then we cut to Kylo Ren walking out of the room saying it's in a it's in a droid. <laughs> he got everything that he needed to know out of him. So he wasn't able to resist that. Time for a brief break. Let me tell you about our sponsor this week. It is Loot Crate's Level Up, a monthly mystery apparel subscription service. Now, there are three different levels with Level Up, and the idea is you subscribe and you get a new item or set of items every month, and it's according to a theme. Now, they've got these three different levels. One is two pairs of high-quality socks. Another one is one or two fashionable accessories for women. And the third level is a single premium wearable, like a long sleeve shirt or a hoodie or lounge pants, something like that. And the themes are inspired by all sorts of favorite franchises. December's theme is Galaxy. It's got Star Wars items. Uh, they've also uh, had Doctor Who and Fallout as themes. And you can get one every month. You choose what of, which one of these levels you want to subscribe to. You can subscribe to more than one if you really want to do that. You give them your size, and then Loot Crate will send you premium apparel every single month. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to lootcrate.com slash incomparable. You can learn more. You can find out about the levels and what's in each of the levels, and you can use code incomparable to save 10%. Thank you to Loot Crate and Level Up for sponsoring this episode of The Incomparable. This is on my good decisions list. Uh, Ren mentioned like these people being characters, not archetypes. The one, the one danger you have in these movies is people trying to do the the mapping 
oh, he's like Han Solo, and that one's like Luke Skywalker, and that's the new Princess Leia. And I thought it was a smart decision to, uh, intentionally or not, resist that straight mapping. Because if you go with Poe, it's like, oh, he's like the Han Solo. He's the sarcastic, you know, guy who's making quips and doing all that. But he's not. He's so much more, like, earnest and bouncy and optimistic and mm-hmm. good-natured. Yeah. Uh, but he's not the Luke either because he doesn't have any Force stuff. And, he, you know, he's a good pilot. He's his own person. Yeah. Like, you keep trying to do the mm-hmm. mapping. It's like, well, is he more like Luke? No, he's a new character. His name is Poe. This is what he's like. <laughs> and that comes through in his scenes. And it felt like a lot of the things they did were to emphasize the way that this is not uh, your your new Han Solo proxy. This is not your new Luke Skywalker proxy. This is a new person, and this is what this person is like, and this is what his droid is like. This droid is, you know, like, that was so refreshing. I think that's a really good way of putting it because I felt like, yeah, I, I definitely was trying to do that in my head in some ways it's going along and almost to the point of feeling like, oh, well, it's almost like a mix and match game. But I think you, you nailed, you hit the nail on the head with the, you know, these really are, yeah, there are traits within them that are reminiscent of traits that we know from other Star Wars characters or other characters in general that we have seen in fiction, but none of them are cookie cutters of previous characters. Right. That and and especially, especially him, I think he could have been so close, but the few scenes that he's in, his general, like, goofy, good-natured optimism yeah. is so unlike Han Solo's, like, cynical mm-hmm. worldview mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. all the Han Solo-ness is, is just shaken out of him, and he's just so happy to see well, that guy. He's he's an idealist, clearly, too, right? Like, I mean, the fact that he's in the resistance period signifies that even though if he's, like, if he is right. sort of snarky, he's, he's a still, wisecracking he's, he's like a, he's yeah. a, But he's also a do-gooder. He's a do-gooding yeah. wisecracker. Mm-hmm. like, what could he be? He's the new guy, and his name is Poe. We'll just go with this. <laughs> he's the New Republic's best pilot. He knows he knows General Leia by name. So he's a Gen- kung fu panda. Yes, he's he's pretty great. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I noticed from that interrogation scene, by the way, it's very quick. And I wonder if there were more shots that had to be taken out for the PG-13 rating. Mm. But as um, as Ren leaves, if you look at this in future in future viewings, the entire bottom side of his face is covered in blood. Um, yeah. And I I imagine that there was at one point a shot of like actually like, you know, your traditional oh no, my mind is being probed, blood is coming out of various orifices. I'm glad they didn't show that because I feel like it's become kind of a an archetype, in ter- or not an archetype, a, a, just a trope in terms yeah. of um, that. But it, but seeing that very quick shot of, oh my God, his face is completely, you know, covered in geysering blood, that's, oh my God, this guy, this guy doesn't mess around. <laughs> there, there's more blood in the first 10 minutes of this movie than probably any of them except for maybe A New Hope. And I think yeah. there's not yeah. there's not much blood in any of the Star Wars movies. I like that they didn't they don't overdo it. The, you know, there are a couple scenes, especially early on, um, but I feel like it's not it's not like it's not like geysers of blood or anything, which would really that would not feel like a Star Wars movie, right? Like, you know, there is a certain amount of it's not sanitized, but it, it, it's cauterized. Let's say and the interrogation scene, like that, is also again basically mechanically sound, good, competent filmmaking introducing the scary thing that the bad guy can do that will come up more than once in the movie that will become a significant thing that you have to become familiar with and also establishes him as a scary person. Does he force choke him? No. Does he just stand there and stare at him? No, he's got the extended hand thing. And I, I wonder if like that was the actor who came up with that or if it was in the script. Like His move is he extends his hand and puts his five fingers in front of his face in a certain way and it physically is like, oh, I'm like pulling the thoughts out of your head. And that's that's his thing. Like I can... Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, an empathetic bond where like, 
I can see what's in your head and I can feel what you're feeling. And he's using it to, you know, for an evil ends to get information out of him. And it works. It establishes that this is a real thing and he's pretty good at it and he kind of enjoys it and he's super creepy. Um, that was all really good. And it's not just that one scene. This will this will become important later. And like I said, just good, solid storytelling. And also to your point earlier about the how not mapping characters, obviously this Kylo Ren is meant to evoke Darth Vader. And sure. you know, that becomes clearer and clearer as we go along. But it's also very clear from the beginning that he is not Darth Vader, right? I mean... He's a lot of these things. There's scenes where he's like crouching down, like the way he speaks, his his you know his speech patterns incredibly different, much yeah. less formalized for reasons that we will discover. Yeah, in, um, in the in the the night raid on on Jakku, at one point when he says to take uh, Podamron with them in the shuttle, he's like, "Take him with us." Or something it's like totally tossed off and i'm like oh he's not he is not speaking as darth vader right might he's speak. not it's not the orator's <laughs> voice of right. god it's like it's it's very casual a lot of points and he has these moments with a lot of the other characters even in interrogation scenes or something where his speech is very colloquial yeah. very very fast and that's again it resists that defying because he's not darth vader you know but and he, he is a darth vader fan yeah, he's a, he's a yeah. fanboy. Yeah. So the key scene with with him is there is a scene where he has brought bad news by uh, by somebody who's wearing his little outfit that's similar to the outfits that the guys who brought Darth Vader bad news, right? And the guy is totally expecting, especially when he yeah. turns his lightsaber on, totally expecting to be chopped in half by Kylo Ren. And we're expecting him to be chopped in half by Kylo Ren. And what does he do? He has a temper tantrum and smashes up the tables and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he does choke the guy later. Too. And then asks, "Well, yeah." Yes. But then he asks, "Is there anything else?" And he said, "Well, there was a girl too." And he chokes him a little bit, and then he lets him he lets him go. So yeah. this is not Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader was just like super cool customer and had it all together. Once and again, there's this a, guy the does HR. Not. The HR departments have dis- yeah. <laughs> advised them against choking their employees. Mm, yeah, first order is a please don't kill employees. We're, we're yeah. very valuable. They have a new policy on destroying the equipment, like maybe a special <laughs> yeah. tantrum room. If you're like, gonna hit oh, something, expensive consoles, and you know that's the bridge. Someone's got to come in there and fix that. Now. Yeah, no, but he's a. That's the whole point with him, and we learn as we learn he's more alive, about him. Yeah, he he is wire. he is a well he's a he's a baby he's a he's 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 a big baby and he has temper tantrums and he he is a he is a essentially a child with force powers who is being exploited poorly trained by by a very bad person exploited badly trained indulged to do what sort of whatever he wants he is spoiled Mm -hmm. and and you know we learn more about that as it goes but it's very clear from the very beginning that he's you know he doesn't have it together he has he doesn't have a nice little tidy office that he goes in with it and takes his mask off he has (laughs) he has he just freaks the hell out and uh lightsabers up a room from time to time it's not good it's more like a new hope where vader had sort of a corporate uh competitor like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like where they were in the boardroom and having arguments and stuff. Body, it, yeah. You know, Vader had not yet emerged as the clear top of the pyramid in the Imperial organization until conveniently the rest of them are blown up and he tumbled away. Right. Uh, that really helped his career. But in this one, same thing. Kylo Ren, you think, well, he's the guy with force power. Surely he's in charge. But he's got his co-workers always in there undermining him to his boss and yeah. giving him dirty looks and stuff. And it's clear that, like, you maybe have force powers, but like competency wise, I mean, it's a it's a pretty fair fight here. Like they're yeah. both kind of a little bit young and uh, and fresh and mm-hmm. brash, but they have you know they both have ambitions. His ambition nope. is I want to be like Darth Vader. The other guy's ambition is maybe I want to be like Hitler. I'm not quite sure what his yeah, ambition don't, is. Don't, don't mess with the Weasleys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, you know. Um, so before we move on, just one a couple quick things. 
um, about tone and um, just general set dressing sound. Um, the initial, after that, those initial few shots in space, which are very J.J. Abrams, um, we get these beautiful um, sets on Jakku. And this very, it feels small in a in a way that Star Wars movies haven't felt in a long time. Um, where, I mean, I think one of the, one of the big downfalls of the prequels, and I was thinking about this, the more that, that I, after seeing The Force Awakens for the second time, um, is you get sort of this, these big giant gaping sets, like these huge palaces on Naboo, you get the Galactic Senate, um, and even, even, um, on Tatooine, it was like, let's do a giant pod racing stadium, let's not, and, and with Force Awakens, we're back to these very sort of small, almost intimate sets that mm-hmm. feel not not quite real in a in a weird. They feel movie real. They feel like they are, they are almost sets and they're almost reality, um, and that really works for me for Star Wars. This kind of this this slight off putting feeling of this isn't a real town or it doesn't quite feel like a real town, but at the same time, it very much sets the scene for what it needs to. The fact that when BB-8 rolls away, you can see all of this action happening in the background and it just feels so lived in. It feels mm. authentic. Um, and the fact, the fact that there's a, you know, there's a revamped X-Wing that's sitting there and huge and, and I don't know, there's, there's tangible weight to the, opening few scenes which i think is is lovely even when they get to the the star destroyer type um type uh ship it still has that sort of weighty lived in feel um and the other thing in that in that vein is i love i'm not sure if ben burt was wholly in charge or if he was in charge of sound this go around but the modulation on adam driver's voice for kylo ren is perfect i love the fact that Everything feels compressed. Um, they did this wonderful, wonderful thing um, where they essentially just they suck all of the air out of the mix. So you have this room tone, and then anytime he speaks, it's almost like turning on a um, it's almost like turning on a calm where there's this little bit of fuzz, and then all of a sudden all of the room tone goes away, and then he has this slightly muffled, um, short clipped speech. And it instantly, it, it's it's a very different, as we were talking about earlier, it's a very different style than James Earl Jones. It doesn't have the booming, I'm on a, you know, I'm on a dais, I am powerful Darth Vader. Um, and it and it fits his temper tantrum kind of boy. But the, the, the fact that as while he's speaking, basically all the air just disappears and you just hear these quick little short blipped sentences, it's every time he speaks, it feels almost like a bullet in the scene. It's just... Bam, bam. He had to send away to VaderFan.com to get that. I mean, he's been working hard on that. Like, because because that's that's one of the big great payoffs later when he takes the helmet off. The idea that like he doesn't need the helmet, but his hero Darth Vader had the helmet, so he sure yeah. as hell wants a helmet, and mm-hmm. he doesn't need something to change his voice. But Darth Vader had one, so he's going to check out VaderFan.com and look at the best modulator mm-hmm. they have, and maybe customize it to give him that sinister type sound. And you're right, like. We've had so many recent movies where the bad guy does weird voices, whether it's Batman with Bane or Batman himself or any other movie <laughs> where someone try, tries to sound sinister or gravelly, and it, it's really easy for it to go bad. Obviously, Darth Vader is like the first, the canonical, like, that defined his character. They did such a good job with essentially just James Earl Jones' booming voice and then heavy breathing in between and some a little bit of fuzz thrown in, and that was it. And you can't just repeat that, but 
you get a lot of mileage out of the fact that this in-universe in-character is someone who idolizes Darth Vader, that of course he's going to try to do something like that, but you want it to be understandable and also sinister. And I think it's also important that, like Darth Vader himself, that his out-of-mask voice differs substantially from his in mask voice like when you get you know the helmet comes off in jedi and anakin talks and you're like oh he sounds so different obviously it's a different guy in that pace but even it's it's the same actor adam driver talking through the fuzz and not talking through the fuzz Hmm. helmet off different you know different scene different different uh, vibe entirely yeah Yeah, and and to the point earlier uh ren's point about cgi and uh, uh you know like the fact that there's actual tangible stuff here i think that this this takes the right advantage of CGI and uses it in places where it is smart to do so and it is, provides a better product and then doesn't apply in places where it doesn't need it and where uh, practical sets and practical effects work much better. Um, I disagree with a few minor points that we'll get to when we get to the bad section. <laughs> I, right. I think overall they made good choices on on where to deploy that and where not. It's not universally perfect because they, you know, I would love to have seen some some characters that were more based on puppets, but I think unfortunately that's just not the way that that is going right now. But it is nice that they. The problem, as we've all admitted, the problem with a lot of the prequels is just the overabundance of CGI. Every single thing being filmed against a blue screen for the most part. Mm-hmm. That is not done here. It shows. Uh, the direction shows that that J.J. Abrams can talk to actors, too. So, you know, even in his first 10 minutes, we're looking at something very, very different from no, the prequels. He, Abrams said that uh, a, a large part of the CGI for the non, you know, non, non, the, like the on-set CGI stuff was erasing um, wires and things. That mm-hmm. they did a lot of practical stuff and then the CGI was just used to hide the controls for the practical things. Um, I would say about this, um, and we should just talk about Jakku more generally because otherwise we'll be here until morning. Um, I would say this is very... Jakku is a very Star Wars-y kind of place. And I say that because it's full of garbage. And that is that is Star Wars to me. Star Wars to me, like we see Ray's apartment, right, where she's living, <laughs> and it's just full of crap. And she's got her X-wing uh, doll or X-wing pilot doll, and she's got an X-wing blast helmet that she wears at one point for fun. And and it, it is a and she makes her little kind of bread out of powder, and and is grilling her meat on her hibachi or whatever. And you're like, she's surrounded by technology what she does is scavenge technology and yet she's not living in a shiny future she is living in the just the pits in terms of of her um her standard of living she's going day to day and finding garbage and bringing it back for scraps essentially and then we get the reveal that she's literally living inside a wa- a fallen walker <laughs> so good and uh that is star wars to me is stuff like it, the fact and then throughout the jakku scenes um right down to the fact that at one point when the 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 two tie finders are chasing the millennium falcon and finn hits one of them and it crashes into the uh into the sand the scavengers immediately run over to it to pick it up to pick it for parts immediately because that's that. what you do on jakku because it is a garbage planet and the people who are surviving there are subsisting on picking through the wreckage of this space battle that was there 30 years before. That's very Star Wars to me. Speaking of the scale thing that the non-Kylo Ren said uh, previously, this, the the scale that I think of, uh, like, to to describe it is, the, even though it's different in tone, is the blue milk scale. Uh, <laughs> is there a scene in which the scale of things that are significant to the scene 
are at the level of blue milk. And there's tons of them here. You just mentioned the food preparation thing or even just hanging out at the stall where you figure out what you're going to get for your stuff. Yeah, it is. It is a a a a small scale. Like it's still a set. It's still an outdoor thing or like, a you know, inside your little hut or whatever. But that that I think is a really important part of this movie. They spend a lot of time on to their credit establishing Ray her life, her routine, in giving it room to breathe, giving it room to see her crawling around in the Star Destroyer. Like, you know, to spend a year on it. It doesn't have to be a subplot where she runs away from something inside the Star Destroyer. She goes into town. Uh, she tries to get the money. She brings the thing back. She makes her meal. Mm-hmm. She eats it. She puts on the helmet. Like, they give that room to breathe to get you to identify with the character, yes, but to give you even a better picture of her life than you ever got of even Luke's, where he's complaining about having to go out to the fields or whatever especially a life like hers. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of dialogue I'm seeing because she has a pretty lonely life. She doesn't live with a bunch of other people. She doesn't have friends. She's not talking about, you know, being jealous of her friends and, and Biggs went off to the rebellion. There is no Biggs. It's just her and the Adat she lives in and Star Destroyer <laughs> and Junk and that, and that guy who's really mean to her um, and weird bread that they probably have in Japan that comes out of the water. And so I really love the... <laughs> I really love the blue milk scale of that entire thing, um, and I love the amount of time they dedicated to it. I think it really helped the movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, let's talk about Ray before we get to Finn. Uh, one of our one of our main characters. We meet her. She's a scavenger. She's picking things out of a Imperial Star Destroyer. I will say that that it was crashed. I will I will point out that I believe that's basically a match cut that we see uh, Poe um, being being taken prisoner and and they're on the um, they're on the Star Destroyer in the in in the launch bay and then she's in the launch bay of the destroyed Star Destroyer. It's just kind of a nice contrast that they're on one that's working and she's in the one that is just a piece of garbage on the ground. It's super cool. Um, that's pretty nice. But she, so, so Ray, when we meet her, she's a scavenger. She's very, she's, but she's also marking time on the inside of her ad ad apartment, uh, waiting for somebody and who has not shown up. And then, uh, you know, she, she meets, she meets a droid who doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to abandon her and follows her around. Uh, and so we're going to, I guess we're going to have to talk about BB eight as well, but, uh, you know, she's, she ends up being this kind of amazing character. I had, I had a moment late in the movie where I thought, well, wait a second now. So she's basically a Jedi in training, or will be in training, but she's got force powers and she can fly the Millennium Falcon and has Chewbacca as her co-pilot. Uh, what can't do we, she do? Do we need anybody else? This, let's but, just she's, go. but she's also a nobody. She has no friends. Yeah. She is She is socially weird, for, basically from isolation. Like she is self-sufficient. She's grown some up might a scavenger, say, yeah. yeah <laughs> so, some might say self-sufficient to a fault. And like, it, she's such an interesting, quirky character because it's like, again, get, getting back to like uh, comparing to Luke, who's our closest analog um he seemed like he like went to school like he went to middle school and then he went to high school and then he's working (laughs) the fields and he's got friends and they hang out or whatever she is a weird she's like a weird hermit in training like she's got nothing going on and she's she's clearly like very cerebral and and in her inner world and her in, in her interactions with finn she she interacts with finn the way someone who lived alone out in the woods would even though she goes into town every day but none of those people are her friends like they right. had the scene where she looks at the old woman scrubbing the parts 
gets a you know a brief glimpse of her potential future it's like yeah is that is that it i'm going to be coming back and forth here with parts and giving them to this big ugly guy and him ripping me off until i look like that woman but she goes back and says no i'm waiting i'm waiting for those people like if if we wanted to save time on the, on the race section we could just say is there anything in her can anyone say anything bad about ray on this podcast so i i have nothing bad to say about ray in this podcast but i did discuss the friend of mine the worry that people are going to come away with this especially people who are not big fans of female characters as uh, leads in movies and be like oh well she's a mary sue because she's good at everything and to that i say screw you people <laughs> um no if, but she's not she's not she's good not at everything. she's not she's not good at everything the fact that she's she is talented at a number of things yes um what all of these have actual basis and definition in her character like she's talented in electronics and tech because she's grown up around electronics and tech and this is done in such a going back to prequel comparison here this is done in such a such more organic way than anakin's affinity with tech is done in the in the prequels where it's like oh i'm just really good at fixing things i guess i'm just gonna comment about how i'm really good at fixing and flying things (laughs) yeah whereas ray is just kind of like yeah i can do that i can fix that i can figure that yeah. out probably oh that was the wrong switch okay well uh we'll fix it somewhere else uh good timing yeah well like she's that her one character that one yeah there. exactly the one i'm pointing that at yeah. that one I, it, it, and even her piloting she she hits a lot of things for someone who's oh she's a mary sue she's an expert pilot not not really she really yeah. dings up that millennium falcon quite significantly uh-huh. many times so, she figures yeah, she, it out that is my question but... in fact about her background is i can understand her being mechanically savvy because she is crawling around inside of uh various crashed spaceships and salvaging them um but when she talks about being able to fly unless she's completely bsing finn um i had that question no, of she, like she what's... drives the, she, she drives the speeders like here, here's, yeah. here's my backstory for like you have a pilot right luke is doing the same thing on tatooine he's like oh you know i'm a great pilot it's like well where are you flying well, well he, fly, he, he flies his t-16 in Beggar's canyon. canyon come on exactly right but it's not you're going in space so i have to think that at various times ray has had the opportunity to do the equivalent of beggar's canyon you're not flying very high and maybe we see she drives around speeders but part of like salvaging and getting things there, like surely she has had the opportunity at various times to repair and ride every kind of speeder and every kind of like low level womp rat bullseyeing beggar's canyon you know Could skimming be. type of vehicle we just don't and, know we don't I think we don't know her but background I, but i think that shows when she gets in the big ship which is not like you, you know, your T sixteen right. back home, and has no idea what the hell to do with that thing. Yeah, and she kind of she figures it out, but it's very much a trial and error. That's garbage. Um, that ship yeah, is garbage. That ship is <laughs> garbage. Um, what I really liked about that, just her character in general, is how incredibly um, naive and vulnerable she is in some regards. Like that, the shot of her sitting at the base of her at at apartment with the uh, Rebel Alliance helmet and just looking up at the stars and just has this this strange, goofy grin on her face where she's like, yeah, I'm pretty much in the worst place imaginable, but I have these tangible links to my potential tangible links to my past and someone's coming from me and I can believe in like a greater power, which is, I don't know, it was done so much in such a better way than, in, in, than even the Luke origin story. Mm-hmm. 
where you know Luke, Luke is uh, Luke suffers from some uh, some teenage angst. Luke there is super that, whiny and annoying in a way yeah. that Ray is not. As he looked away. His nickname yeah. is Wormy. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think Ray is Ray's character is fantastic. I mean, I love that you know as pointed out that she can be sort of strange and off putting, but she's also like super self sufficient. Um, I think the some of the best scenes with her are running around with uh, with Finn. Why do you keep taking my hand? I can run by oh, myself. Oh yeah, that was really great. Yeah, that was are you fantastic. okay? Are you okay? That was yeah. a, that was another beautiful because he's trying okay. to be a, he's trying to be a hero, and yeah. she's like, I'm fine. I got it together. Why are you taking my hand and asking me if I'm okay? That was that was kind of beautiful. I think the casting just to make to make a note about the casting of, of Daisy Ridley, who before this is in very little. Uh, she's done like a handful of TV episodes, essentially. Um, I don't know where they found her, but amazing. Uh, the, yeah. the closest analog I could think of is that she actually really reminded me of Haley Atwell, like doing an Asian oh, yeah. Carter thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is totally channeling the same thing for me. And, and in the same great way, because I, I love Haley Atwell's portrayal of, of Asian Carter in that way. Um, and so I think that, that Ray is just she's she's a kind of heroine that we don't see enough and again you kind of have to resist the mapping of her onto princess leia because she is similar in that she is a you know a heroine who's gonna you know make you know fight her own battles and stuff like that but she's she's spunky and kind of self-sufficient in a way that we get and not and and down to earth and not like kind of icy royalty right like there's a very different character here she's as john would say she's a different character and her name is ray um and Mm -hmm. i i think that it's incredibly well done i thought the character was well done i thought the portrayal was the the best Uh, she and john boyoga i feel like are tied for my favorite characters here but yeah that's she's great Why no? It's the incomparable Radio Theater, featuring the Galaxy Scouts, Commander Jetpack, The Fog, Marjorie Carter, The Two-Fisted Tales of Tesla, and more! Visit us at the Incomparable Radio Network for the finest new shows of yesterday, today! One of my favorite uh, interactions with her is or just the way the way that we really get introduced to her as a fighter is I love the fact that John Viega's character essentially stumbles stumbles into town and hears you know fighting going on and his first thought is oh sh- oh crap the first order and he looks up and it's this girl and he's like oh no you're in trouble I'm gonna save you and he takes mm-hmm. two steps and then she proceeds to high kick somebody in the face <laughs> and then beats everybody else down for trying to steal her droid. Uh, and that it, it's just it's such a lovely subversion of again the traditional uh, both women in distress and just uh, you know oh yes I'm a hero I'm gonna save you oh you you, you can save yourself uh, then I'm just awkwardly staring here okay and now I gotta run. <laughs> 
It's not just a subversion, but like uh, what they typically do in, in movies where they want to do this, like, you know, the, the, whole, the whole terrible thing. Well, I don't know how this ever got coined, but the whole idea of a strong female character where where people hear the word strong and they think like muscles and they're not thinking of it as in like a well-constructed female character because they always say, well, strong, that's the word you picked and that's the word everybody says. But like what movies tend to do is overcompensate. So an actual Mary Sue or whatever, like the, the, the woman lead is... Not only is she not the typical, you know, damsel in distress, but in fact, the movie takes great pains to show that she is actually better than all of the men in the movie, which is not what you it's overcompensating. It's not what you need to do as, as in like the only way we can pull this off is to essentially, you know, to, to make her two times as good as the men and then she'll be accepted as an equal to the men. Whereas in this movie, what they do with, with Daisy is just have her go about her life. And the way yeah. she's going about it, and then have the men have the men be the ones who act differently than in other movies. So the woman doesn't have to be two times as good as everyone else. They have to have the men come upon it, and the man is the one who has the instinct that that, that has the movie tropes, and he has to change his behavior. He has to go. Oh wait, this isn't going the way I thought it would go. He's the one who does different things in that scene. Her scene can play without him being there straight up. She's assaulted. They're trying to get BB-8 back. She fends them off. That scene could have worked fine. But but the guy is there, and the only thing that is different about the scene is how how Finn's section of the scene goes. Cut Finn out of the scene, the scene plays straight, and it's fine. Put Finn in the scene, the scene still plays the same way, but he's the one whose expectations are subverted. And the thing I love about Ray is it's clear that her isolation has led to her not even being, and her lifestyle has led to her not even being exposed to the gender roles that Finn has clearly at least been exposed to a little bit as he's grabbing her hand. She doesn't even have a context to understand. Why in the world would you be trying to grab my hand like I'm a child or something to lead me away, right? And they're like, you know, says, are you okay? She has no precedent for like, why would a man be coming up to me and say, yeah, I'm all right. Let's, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she doesn't even have context for, the, and it makes sense because why wouldn't you have the context? Because she's been self-sufficient. She's been, she's socially isolated as well as physically isolated from people. So I just love the fact that she's allowed to be herself and that everybody else's patterns and expectations are screwed up and they bounce off and it doesn't she doesn't have to be the one to say i will now press the reality down on you by being 20 times as awesome as every man and therefore that's why that's why you say oh well now i'll accept that i will accept you as an equal because you're 17 times as good as i am even han solo later you know later when they're when they're in the millennium falcon together you know she just kind of matter of factly is like i'm gonna come sit in the co-pilot seat um, and you're going to deal with it because you need somebody to prime these fuel pumps. Also, you know, if I hadn't been around, you probably would have exploded in hyperspace. So, give, mm. you know, I'm just I'm just going to be here. I'm going to do my thing. I, I know a little bit about ships. It's cool. Yeah, she's uh, well, she's also essentially she's the chosen one. Right. I mean, that's where we end up with is that she's also she's also really good because she's special. Like these these kinds of stories have the chosen one who has the power that, you know, she's been living on this off in the middle of nowhere. But she's actually a vitally important uh, person in the galaxy because she's got the uh, the powers of the force and perhaps her history uh, ties into that, but uh, it doesn't really matter because uh, you know she she's filling that role, and so of course she's awesome. Um, and she she doubts that role much more than Luke too, by the way, mm-hmm. because like Luke is like, well, I I look at you know look off to the horizon, and I would like to go out, and he wants to be a great rebel pilot, and he becomes a great rebel pilot, and he seems to fall pretty naturally into well, of course I would have the force. I'm a pretty important guy, like I'm a really <laughs> awesome pilot, and I help the rebels with that whole Death Star thing, and she's like the whole you know in the trailer. 
I'm nobody. Like, it takes her some convincing for she doesn't see the lightsaber like this is my destiny. I must pick up the mantle. She's like, no, like she's still thinking about getting back and waiting for her family to come back on Jakku. She's she's not immediately said, well, of course, I've always known my entire life I would be the savior of the entire universe. She hasn't known that. She just wants her parents to whoever was to, to come back. And she is very resistant to the idea of her being special or a savior in any way. Uh, let's talk about uh, we're 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 hitting all the characters here. So let's talk about Finn. We should get to it. Uh, John Boyega. He is the def- he is the uh, stormtrooper who defects essentially, but he's not in the resistance. No, no, I'm totally in the resistance. No, I'm actually I'm not in the resistance. <laughs> God, I, I really love definitely him. in the resistance. Um, I love that. Yeah, random Star Wars. You know, like random tidbits of obviously like his operating number FN twenty one eight seven twenty one eight seven is Leia's cell on the Death Star. So like that's totally thanks for yet another nod to, to our our previous one. But I really, again, you know, I I love this character because he is well, he is a clearly a, like a character that works in the Star Wars universe. He's not a character we've ever really dealt with before. He's kind of wants to do the good thing but he's also really kind of out for himself and he doesn't really want to fight for a cause but he's not like cynical and jaded like he is like kind of attempting to be a hero but he also kind of knows where to draw the line he's a little bit of a coward um but he does seem to come through when the chips are down um i just i really enjoy john Paiego's performance he is enthusiastic and hilarious in a number of ways like oh why are you freeing me it's the right thing to do and you need a pilot i need a pilot um Mm -hmm. and so i i just i thought it was such an interesting um character to watch him develop over the course of this movie and i think him it's great that he and daisy ridley have fantastic chemistry because i feel like the two of them in any scene was great like they Uh just the way they bounce off each other is perfect i thought he and oscar isaac also have fantastic the whole tie fighter sequence while they're escaping from the star destroyer um it's just great and the enthusiasm with which they greet each other when they finally reconnect is just so welcome and and cool right like it's there is no macho male strutting there's no trying to outman each other there's no competing they're just genuinely super excited to see each other and that they're not dead Uh (laughs) um and and that's refreshing and it's great to see that kind of camaraderie yeah, well, it's 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 camaraderie under fire, uh, where okay, we're going to be thrown into these crazy situations together, and um, and and something great is going to come out of it. And it's the the same interactions that he has with Poe Dameron, he has almost immediately with uh, with Ray as well, where it's okay. I'm you know he he originally gets chased after by Ray and BB-8 because BB-8 uh, droid who we should talk about after yep. Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, sees Finn is like, you're wearing my master's jacket. Yes. You to, must die. We don't like to shock you. What have you done oh with him? Oh my God. Which is, which uh, is, is funny. So great. But so, so, great. so I, I, I really like John Boyega. I think he did a great job. Um, Finn is a problematic character in some ways. And, and follow me here. Um, he, he does not have a direction in this yeah, movie. He doesn't have a role. You know, his, his, he, he does. His direction is away. Is away. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, that's so what this, I yeah. love about this him is, a, is that he, they, he is a bravely a character that wants to run away and acts on that feeling yeah, a lot. He does not want, he, he, at, at no point really does he want to join the fray until I guess the very end. He really is about, 
uh, and we see it most in, when they're at the at the 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 cantina basically and he's like i want to talk to those guys about going to the outer rim that's because i'm just trying to get out of here it's like and, and yes that's a little bit like han saying uh i just uh, want to get it, paid but it's not though I'm it's not like not, yeah. yeah he wants he's he wants to get the, I mean, he, he's got ptsd essentially from being a stormtrooper he does he wants out of this whole thing even at the end he just wants to go back and get ray he's like whatever your mission like the only reason he's like come with me ray and go to the outer rim like he wants to run away really badly and is never convinced that I need to join the resistance. Nope, he just wants to save Ray. Okay, well, if you want to let me finish, what I was saying is he's like Han in, in saying I just want to get paid in the sense that his goals are not initially what other people's goals are, right? And and his his goal is is essentially I just want to go away. I will lie and say that I'm part of the resistance if it will get me further away. You, the first order is going to win. We need to run away from them. Come with me, and we'll run away. And and so it's an interesting it's an interesting arc and, and you know he ends up getting kind of hit by a lightsaber in the back and we never hear from him again he's just sort of like oh he'll be fine kiss him on the forehead see you later buddy and then and then that's it so it, it's he's an interesting character because he is not the he is not the lead ray is the lead but he is he is one of our important characters and he hasn't yet you know, by the end, perhaps the first time we see him in the next movie, he will now have a direction. But in this movie, he is he is not with the program at any point. And it's kind of fun, but it's 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 uh, I don't know. It's it's an interesting choice because that means that he's, you know, in almost every scene, he's there kind of because he doesn't want to be. But while he's here, he might as well do something useful. That's he's sort one of, of his... the droids. He's like, he's like R2-D2 and C-3PO. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they come from space on the Star Destroyer down to the planet, set the plot in motion, but essentially they're, they are essentially directionless as well. It's not as if C-3PO has a big stake in, in the rebellion in the <laughs> Empire, but those droids trace you through the whole plot. So Finn, spinning out of his little, you know... Star- stormtrooper thing ends up spinning down on the planet picking up people as he goes yeah. and spinning through and at various times trying to get away more than the droids but the, then again R2, R2 was on a mission so he had something to do with C-3PO is like <laughs> you know a leaf in the wind it's a, he's the forest Gump mission, right. mission yeah alright Finn is the C-3PO of this movie fine or, or, the, for, or the forest Gump <laughs> like yeah I mean like I don't think he needs to have any direction other than away no. because that is, that is that is the experience of his character um uh, it'll be interesting when in the next movie if they turn him into a company man or whatever. But for now, like I, I enjoyed the fact, like even even the Rebel Alliance thing, like oh yeah, I'm part of the rebellion. He was saying that to impress a girl. Oh yeah, like, yeah. His yeah. only oh, yeah. his yeah. only connections are personal. Like he has exactly. friends and he cares about the friends. And by the end of this movie, he is not yet convinced of anything having to do with the geopolitical struggle. He doesn't even have a name until very early. Yes, that's true. <laughs> here, right? Like he's not trying to overthrow the 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 the, the first order. He just wants to be. He just wants to be gone, right? He just wants right. to be out of there and not killing people and and has not said I you know, again, I'm not a member of the of the resistance. That's not who he is yet. It's it's and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, uh, a little bit later. Uh one of the delights of this movie is that it is very clearly the first in a in a in a new mm-hmm. story. And so not everything there are a lot of loose ends. There's Some, room. Yeah. And, there, and, yeah, and this is and, where Finn starts, and not where he ends. Exactly right. And there's time. He doesn't need to come all the way around. So at the end he's like, I have joined the resistance now, and now I have learned my important character trait that has changed me as a person. It doesn't really happen. He gets knocked out uh by by uh by Adam Driver and uh and nursed back to health back at the base at the end of the movie. And that's it, right? But so. he, he shows character, though, right? Like, that's the thing. For sure. He, steps he picks in up a and... lightsaber and does a little lightsaber battle, which is cool. 
Um, but, and, it, but it, more to the point, it's about, I mean, like, you know, I think that's defending his friend. Well, yeah, he lies, exactly. he lies personal... to everybody and puts the entire resistance at risk to go back and save his friend on Starkiller base. This is true. So, so he is a hero of some sorts, even if a cowardly, reluctant hero at times. I mean, I, I think that's what <laughs> cowardly, I like. Cowardly, reluctant, it. lying hero. Yeah, fine. I'm okay with that. Well, well, but he cares. He cares about other people. He's got. He's got his friends. Yeah, he's not he cares evil. About. He's not bad or amoral. No. Right. He's just. Yeah. He's. He's got his own agenda, and it's fine. Like it's a. It's a noble agenda to a certain extent, even if it is more limited in its worldview. Uh, and that's what I like about him is that you know he does pick up the lightsaber, defend his friend, even when it's pretty clear that he's going to get his ass kicked. Yeah. For me, what uh, what not necessarily redeems Finn, but what makes Finn a a exciting character and something that I'm really looking forward to seeing them flush out in the next two movies is that last battle where essentially he's come all this way to rescue Rey and she doesn't really need rescuing but you know he's gonna he's gonna be there for her anyway um and when she gets flung 30 feet into a tree and he doesn't know if she's gonna wake up it's essentially like I have the last time that this dude was alone with Ray, he dragged her off to God knows where and did God knows what to her. And I don't know, but like, she's my friend and she's somebody I care about and I'm going to take a stand. And that I think is his defining moment in this movie. And I maybe agree. it wasn't as telegraphed as well as it could have been, but I like, and I know that there are going to be people who are super bummed out that Finn is not the Jedi in this movie. Um, and you know, maybe maybe he has force powers. Who knows? At least he's we, we still he, got two movies. He's got, he's, he uses but, a lightsaber a bit. Oh, but he uses right. a well, lightsaber. That, that but, is his personal culmination of his story is that he that he's fighting to save her. It's just like there's not that moment where he where he says, "All right, everybody, I'm going to join up," because that we'll, we'll deal with that later, right? It's just his, like his demons movie. are inner demons because it's clear mm-hmm. that he feels bad about himself. He feels bad that he was a stormtrooper. He also yes. kind of feels bad that he was a traitor because people are always yelling traitor at him. Yeah. Half, of his ba- mm-hmm. half of his battle Rebel with that stormtrooper guy is to, is to say, like, you know, F you, like, I'm a traitor because you guys are bad. Like, like but every, everything about, like, why is, the trash why is he so attached to Ray? Like, he, he doesn't get much uh, in the way of lines to develop his own character, like to, like, to say out loud what his character is doing, but he does have one, which is uh, you know why? Why did you lie about the the rebel thing? It's because she looked at me a way no one else has ever looked at me before. No one else has ever looked up. To me. He doesn't feel he's worthy of admiration. And when Ray looks admiringly at him when he thinks when when she thinks he's part of the resistance, that's why he buys into that lie and is so resistant to give it up. And why he uh, attaches on uh, Ray so much is like this is someone who looked up to me if if briefly for for a reason of her lie, like you know. And that's why he wants this part. You know, he is he is ne- he's in need of. He needs to believe that he is actually a good person when really he isn't. And most of the things he does are not good. And that's why he's so uh, attached to Ray. And so fighting the stormtrooper is trying to to fight against his old self. Like, I'm not I'm not you guys anymore. You guys are bad and I don't like what you do. And then fighting to try to defend Ray futilely because he's really bad at it um, <laughs> is him defending this one person who briefly looked up to him. So I don't I don't know where he goes from here, but I think self self esteem was his big problem in this. Movie. I agree that and and uh, having a lot of bad luck. <laughs> yeah, ne- never having a blaster when he needs one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, BB-8. Let's BB-8. let's talk about BB-8. What a what a what a fun droid is is this little. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll just uh, before uh, I know Ren is going to talk about how great BB-8 is here. I'll just say I love that uh, Han Solo calls him Ball. Move Ball. <laughs> uh, so. I didn't I didn't think it was possible to actually enjoy BB-8 as much as I did uh, in that I, I went into it basically being like, of course, he's a little droid. 
Um, I, I'm going to love him by default. I'm holding a tiny BB-8 in my hand. I bought oh. one long before I saw the movie. So clearly I already had like a pro-droid bias going into this. But I think the moment that he endeared himself the most to me um, is that initial meeting with Ray, uh, where he, you know, she's just like, town's that way. Go deal with your secret mission. I don't want to deal with you. I don't have friends. Grumble. And BB-8 just looks at Ray and then starts purring. And I don't mm. know what it was about BB-8 as Tiny Cat, which totally sold it for me. And I'm like, yup, okay, I'm on board this train. Uh, but the the thing that I really love about BB-8 is, A, he's, he's his own lovable self without having to play on R2's tropes. In fact, he's, despite being an astromech and having R2-like mechanisms, um, I don't feel like I feel like he and R two are completely different droids. Um, yeah, he does not. BB eight doesn't feel like one of the endless remixes of droids that we saw in the original trilogy. Right? This no. is a it's a round droid. It's it, it, this is a different kind of creature and and sounds different too. Good good sound design on BB eight oh, being distinct distinct from R two D two. Yeah, nice, uh, yeah. Uh, the He's, I think, much more. Whereas R 2s R2's curious, but in a uh, in a like se- almost selfless way. I want to say R two just kind of barrels into things. BB eight, I think, is much more like, oh, are we going into this now? Okay, but I, I want to see where the bad guys are. I'm going to peek out between your legs, but uh, I'm going to stay back here yeah. and. You know, I don't know. He he just has such this. Except he, except when he uh, like uh, chest bumps R two D two to try to wake him up. That oh, was a, that's a that was nice so moment. sad to me. That was so sad. Which it it literally felt BB eight is a kitten of this. Like mm. BB eight is a tiny is a tiny droid kitten with boundless energy and the ability to do crazy things. Right. But then he comes up to you know he comes up to the veteran droids. He comes up to R two, and it's just kind of like knock knock. Mr. Cat, wake up. <laughs> Through, obviously, BB-8, like, uh, all droids broadcast, like, a wireless signal about who they are and what's going on with them. Because because uh, C-3PO, in the in the scene where we see C-3PO and he explains that you might not understand who he is because he's got a red arm, which is a good joke, he, he, he immediately <laughs> says... Come on, BB-8, let's get out of here. I'm well, like, I oh, assume well, they knew each other. Yeah, I assume they were yeah, C-3PO is, is fluent in over six million forms of communication. So. Humans yeah. always assume that all droids know each other. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I, my personal favorite BB-8 scenes were still when the, when the, the Falcon fight scene where he just keep, they flip the ship over and he just falls every yeah. time to the floor. Uh, and he's like, wait. And he finally like, hold on, sticks, enough of this. He sticks out his little things that yeah. hold him in place. I love that he has tow cables and not only that that we see him use tow cables um to to sustain himself in midair but also he's like oh right i can use tow cables to like get myself out of out of holes or climb stairs uh things that you know don't really make sense for your average astromech droid but bb8 is uh is as podemron says one of a kind my mm. um one of, he's just he's a droid full of personality and all of the little things that he pulls out of course like he shocks Finn um he he's very you know he's very impetuous as as droids go um but he just he has all of these little personality twerks and quirks and little little uh pockets of uh useful things here and there and and then you get really ridiculous things like oh he has a lighter that happens to look like a thumbs up sign when he turns (laughs) it upside down and 
you know, in the prequel, that that motion would have bombed. That would have been like a, oh, God, why are you making a droid do that? Yeah. Why? And I had a little here, bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, really? That's, that that, that line, laughed. that scene, that scene with the little thumb, uh, I've seen the movie twice now. It is it was the biggest laugh of the of the entire theater oh, yeah. both times, and I think it is all entirely like so much of comedy about timing. It's not mm-hmm. so much about the concept; it's about the timing, like it's, yeah, it's that, that it really comes well. quickly. Mm-hmm. That they don't dwell on it. That it's not like get ready, he's gonna do a funny <laughs> thing. They it, that's why it kept, that's why the laugh comes. It's so fast and it's gone because the guys like yeah, right on. He goes pop, boom, and then they cut away. Like that's it. I, I will say I love I I absolutely adore that entire scene. Where John Boyega is trying to talk BB-8 into not ratting him out, <laughs> and he revealing away. Where, where he's looking back and forth, yeah. he doesn't know. Whoop, he's like, I, whoop, but whoop, uh, whoop, he's whoop, like, whoop. the droid. The droid has to decide. The droid, <laughs> instead of following orders and saying, "BB-8, go that way. BB-8, do this. BB-8, help me with that." The droid has to make a call here, like a judgment call, and his little head goes back and forth, and he's like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll do this now. It's it's uh, and seeing him roll around all the. <laughs> I was going to be skeptical about like seeing him roll around in the desert. Like, is it does it really feel like that droid could actually roll around in the desert? And the fact is, it does. It's it feels perfectly natural. There are a couple really nice moments, not just when he's bouncing around in the Millennium Falcon, but there's a nice moment where he gets kind of blasted across the room um, in some scene where there's an explosion, and and you see the ball, and he's like behind the the head is behind, and you see him land, and then the head pops up, which I thought was really nice. There's uh oh, I'll also say when he is bouncing around inside the Millennium Falcon, I, there is literally the sound effect of a bouncing basketball in <laughs> in the. I heard it. Well, there, there's a little it, bit of clank in there too. No, but there's a but yeah, there's but, there's one of the sound elements there is is yeah, somebody like yeah. recorded a basketball Boing. bouncing on the on the floor. So that's pretty funny that kind of like clangy sound of the of a of a fully inflated kind of basketball bouncing on uh, on concrete or something. So that's in there. I loved that. And uh and when he moves, the only moment was in, when he's in the forest and Ray turns around and is like, "Oh, you shouldn't be here." And I'm like, "How did he get there?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's I know he's good, but is he that good at this? Yes. But but it is a, it is uh, the movement seems very natural and uh, it's a great idea to have the ball droid and it all it all really works. So all of my kind of trepidation of like, are they really going to be able to pull off this droid? He's the best. <laughs> He's the well, best. Just think of R2 on Endor. R2 is way harder to explain. R2 gets to places <laughs> yeah. and you're like, all right, there's no way with your ground <laughs> clearance you could have gotten there. Maybe if you have your jets from the prequels and we just didn't see you use them, but the ball is actually pretty <laughs> yeah. good for going I was always skeptical yeah. about the stairs even, but like they have that nice human They have go down, down the stairs. stairs. They down the stairs. Clonk, yeah. clonk. Yeah. Yeah. That is better than R2, frankly. Sorry. Yeah. Well, so yeah. honestly, the end of the movie, all I was, there's a there's a shot where Ray climbs up a bunch of stairs and uh, BB-8 is not, a, not on that journey. BB-8 is elected to stay home with yes. Poe Dameron, but uh, R2 and Chewie are there, and you just get this mournful r- reply from Chewie, and R2 just kind of rocking back yeah. and forth, being like, I don't like stairs. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, and all I could think of was, man, I wish BB-8 was there, because I would, I would really uh, enjoy little B- little ball droid climbing up the yeah. stairs with Ray. Uh, but the, the other thing that I think sold BB-8 for me um, was the the heart that they have this droid emit? I mean, when he finds out that Poe's, or when he thinks that Poe has been murdered, 
he has this beautiful little like he goes from being in attack attack dog mode to almost completely shutting down mm-hmm. and being so mournful. And that translates to when we find out later that R2 has gone into low power mode, has basically shut himself down because Luke has left without him, um, which uh, I'm I'm still halfway convinced is intentional that Luke actually yes. gave R2. Yes, oh, yes. Um, that's, that's yeah, a, a directive. Um, but but it's still but you totally believe it in the moment when 3PO is like R2 shut down because he misses his master and B- you can see BB-8's rea- like sympathetic reaction being like I know what it was mm. like to lose a master um, and finally BB-8 is the only droid that can make R2 feel like an older unit like can make R2 not feel like the star- like the scruffy yes. um, the scruffy little astromech that could uh, and it, I really like giving giving him some gravitas, like giving R two <laughs> some. R two is an older droid. It's been now. around for a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. R two R two has the you know may may still be a little bit of an upstart droid, but has the um has the elderly spirit now because the torch has been passed on to BB eight to to go fly the astromech battles and to go all do that do all that fun stuff. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't mention him racing out to meet his master. Like that, he just yeah. comes barreling oh, from so behind cute. people. Yeah, kind of yeah. smacks into Finn's sort of hug side. Yeah, I said little kitten, little mm-hmm. kitten. <laughs> yeah, they were, they wisely cut away when Poe is bending down to greet the oncoming BB-8. There's nothing that really can good that can come out of that meeting. So they cut away and then they cut back and they're just hanging out and talking. Some good good editing there avoids the awkwardness of what does happen when the speeding droid meets them and they don't really hug he's got no arms it would be weird Aww. but yeah i would totally hug the bb8 mm. unit you just pick him up yeah he's not that heavy unless you're john boyega and apparently stormtroopers <laughs> have never lifted anything uh okay so we've talked about the we've talked about most of the characters ren you want to talk about kylo, kylo ren. ren a little bit let's talk about kylo ren yeah ren you can go first it's your name okay well Kylo Ren. So this has been so 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 he's he's Ben (laughs) Solo. Ben Ben Organa Solo. Yeah. Um the the son of Leia and Han, which I admit I was good enough about spoilers that I did not see this coming. Um I I as soon as it was said, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. It makes perfect sense. And um one thing I don't know if we want to talk about or not is the there are a lot of parallels. Uh, between mm-hmm. this movie yeah. and the choices made in this movie that parallel some now defunct and discontinued it, um, expanded universe stories, uh, as well and as th- earlier movies. Oh, it, yes. yeah, I was thinking. Of I was thinking the most notable thing here is not the temptation of of uh, of Anakin Skywalker in the prequels, although I suppose that's there too. But I was thinking very specifically what we hear in dialogue from Kylo Ren is very much the flip side of what Luke talks about in the original mm-hmm. trilogy, which is the temptation of the dark side. And here we interestingly have him mm-hmm. tempted by the light side. And in that scene where he confronts Han Solo out on the, on the bridge there, which is also a Luke, I am your father kind of uh, parallel a little bit. He mm-hmm. talks about how you know he's he's struggling and it's difficult and the way to read that is that you you think he's saying it's difficult because the dark side is tempting me but he's actually saying the reverse oh, which is no one's yeah. thinking that who's paying attention well yeah i know <laughs> but like, because we had seen so much of the movie we know that but we know han doesn't know that because han it's it works because yeah. the audience knows the audience knows what he really means exactly. but han thinks oh you what you want me to 
Han even might. You could you, know you could argue that Han, that Han knows that that's a possibility, well, and it, it, does, it doesn't, and it doesn't as matter. Far, as far as Han's concerned, he's like, got to do it. He's, he's going to do what he's yeah. going to do. It's his but son. if you're not white, yeah. if you're not white knuckle in the armrests at that point, I mean, I don't know what's I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. So Kylo Ren is a fascinating character. I am so excited to see where his character goes in the next two movies because he's been set up so well here. Um, impetuous we've talked we talked a little bit about how he reacts you know to Mm -hmm. bad news and just he's he's out of control he's not it he's he's the opposite of what we think about when we think about jedi even sith jedi he is clearly you know we don't know who um who snoke like his his master in the darkness really is exactly we don't know if they're if they're sith related all we know is that ben organa solo there was an incident um, when he was young, when he was being trained, where he inadvertently slaughtered all of Luke's young disciples. Oh no! I, I think he was the leader of the Knights of the, the Knights of Ren. They were saying like I, I, yeah. they had in the flashback scene where where uh, Ray touches the lightsaber and they show a whole bunch of stuff from both the past and the future. I assume and crazy they different show, masks. <laughs> yeah, they show like Kylo Ren in front of a bunch of other dudes and what I yeah. well, the read I got from it again knowing nothing about expanded universe or any of the rumors I still haven't read most of the backstory is that like Luke's tra- training the new Jedi and one of his students gets some weird dark ideas in his head whether by himself or whether he was influenced by somewhere outside and he sort of organizes you know like darkness sleep seeps into the class like it's like when one bad kid makes all the other bad kids act up but much worse and so the dark side is seeped in and that they showed him like killing somebody and like maybe they just they went through and tried to kill a bunch of people uh you know these are all still untrained jedi at this point but he basically he had a, a band of followers and i don't know where they are now always um, yeah they that 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 uh that caused disruption in the class and we're gonna kill and that you know and then luke goes off as like the theory i've I've seen and i kind of subscribe to now based on what little i know is that luke goes off to basically say it's better for me to bail and think about what i've screwed up before these guys are full trained jedis than to try to like because fixing this would be at this point i'd have to kill all these guys so he just goes off leaving them essentially untrained crappy Jedi where their lightsabers don't even work. They got all sparks coming out of them and everything like that. And they think they're a big band of toughs. But as we see, he's really just a messed up, scared kid who's got the wrong heroes. Yeah. Could, yeah. Could be. Could could be. But re- regardless, he's the uh, one of the notable things that happens in the very last thing that Snoke says is get Kylo Ren. It is time to compete his complete his training because this yep. is the thing is we've seen it. This is he's not Darth Vader. Although what no. I think is interesting about him is that he is in some ways imagine Darth Vader with the possibility like a legitimate possibility to be redeemed. Like Darth Vader is so far gone that his redemption comes at the end of his life. But I think we all have to hold out hope as a part of this storyline that they can get through to him and that he has a possibility of redeeming himself and that's i think that's interesting because darth vader is beyond redemption but perhaps kylo ren is not well they pushed they pushed him far away from it on the bridge though like his whole thing is he wants he wants this pain to be gone and he thinks he can get rid of it by like going fully over whether he's successful in that or not we'll see in the next movie is he even more tortured or has he broken through to something else but he's moving farther away not closer that was my question too i mean i feel the way john does which is i felt like watching that scene is like well that's like I mean that's like pretty much the worst thing you can do right there, and it it, mm-hmm. it strikes me struck me as like wow, so 
he's not getting redeemed anytime soon that's true to me because it's so bad you can't just about face in the next movie and be like well you know okay he's done some bad stuff but and, and really is, deep is, down is general organa gonna welcome him back uh, you know like it's it it he he really seems hell-bent on getting past this whole having a conscience light side temptation he he wants to go to the dark side his his yeah. hero is darth vader and you know the thing is like didn't didn't Luke tell his students that like in the end Darth Vader uh, turned it around? He, uh, not necessarily. It could be maybe that Luke they kept that for maybe himself. they dropped like, out before well, that that, point of that view. lesson though. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe they're like, oh, that's end of semester stuff. We're gonna work up to that. Um, I I think that the other problem or sort of interesting issue here with Kylo Ren as a character. Um, is that this whole like, yeah, the whole light side, dark side thing for him is, is a very, it is interesting that they flip this on its head um, and that they have this sort of temptation there and that you do have that scene that you can read both ways while he's talking to Han on the bridge. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's an interesting character. He is very much like, a, he's like a rebellious teenager, right? Like that's kind of what the read on him is. Like, oh, I don't like my parents. I'm going to go, my grandfather's cool. I'm going to go like, you know, totally do the thing that my parents would be really abhorred that I did. Um, you know, and, and it's hard to tell, like I, you know, having seen Adam Driver and a few other things, I kind of expected him to take off the mask and have like the weaselly mustache he has in a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. And so when he's clean shaven and stuff, it's like, it just, it, it it makes such a big impression of how young he looks there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's not clear to me exactly how young he's supposed to be. I would say probably a, around tw- 20, maybe. Yeah. Like, but like, I, I think he's co- a little bit older than that. But I he's a kid. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple Early of years swing in, in yeah, that direction. But like, either way, like, you know, he does read as sort of the rebellious teenager who is, you know, forsaking everything that his parents were into um, and really just determined to kind of cause trouble, but, but with a little conflict in there because somewhere, you know, inside him, he does realize that maybe there is that isn't the best solution. So it's an interesting character. I I think that it's it's tough to redeem him easily after what we saw him do, and that's going to be a very I, like you know we talked a little bit about where you start with this being the launch pad of the new trilogy and what's to come next, and I think that is an exceptionally interesting question um, given how much stuff that has been mirrored from the original trilogy, but the the very stark different directions they've chosen. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen him in Girls? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've I've watched all of Girls, and that's the main place I know him from. And I think a, a lot of people are like, if you've seen him on Girls, it's kind of weird. It's like, oh, it's that guy from Girls, and you get taken out of it in, ter- in terms of... His the- shirt is on here, so that's yeah, a big difference. It, 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 but in terms of the casting, like it can take you out of it for a second because like, oh, he's like that guy in Girls. But the thing is, I think it's brilliant casting because... Whether it's because he's one of those actors who lets a lot of his own personality show through in all of his characters, because I haven't seen him enough to know this, or it's because they cast him because of his role in Girls. The way his character in Girls deals with emotions and emotionally difficult situations in a very unhealthy way is very similar than the very unhealthy way that Kylo Ren deals with his emotions. And like, uh, what's his name that everybody loves? Cumberbatch. Uh, Like Cumberbatch... Both of them look a little bit alien. Yeah, they act a little, a little bit a alien. Little strange looking. They, yeah. they look a little bit alien. Like both of them. That's why in Sherlock, he's a person who doesn't process emotions or the same sensory inputs as everyone else. Same way everyone else does. Neither does Kylo Ren. He look. He's he acts messed up. He's weird. Like he's not entirely stable, as they would say. The whole the whole <laughs> his whole vibe. The, both the actor 
and the character have that vibe. So this is good casting, and I love his big crazy hair. Yeah, I just yeah. you know, I love his mm-hmm. weird looking face, and I just love <laughs> his whole vibe. And yes, all those things are very Adam from Girls like, but it's the right way to go with this character. Like it just so happens that this character, in many ways, is like Adam from Girls, but you know, gone off on on a darker path. So I. I love his weirdness. I love in the same way that kind of like you know the action movie trope. Uh, really good action movies have like an, a bad guy who is a little bit mentally unstable, and you don't quite know what he's going to do, and he's a little bit weird, and that adds something to him. With Kylo Ren, I feel like there is not like especially if he he totally his, his goal is like to disassociate. He wants to disassociate from his feelings, from his past, from everything, from his parents, uh, and if killing his father is going to help him disassociate, but like. Is he even controllable? Is Snoke gonna turn? Snoke's not gonna, not gonna turn him into an obedient lapdog. Like he's gonna be an, uh, as they would say, an agent of chaos in the next two movies. I, I, I imagine that that when we see him again, he is going to be either in training to be or will be a uh, a Sith Lord. I think that's where we're going. Is that he's going to be Darth something or other? Um, because he mm. wants to continue down this path and the, his training will be complete. And, you know, Darth Solo. Yeah, well, it'll be Darth Solo. <laughs> that would be a bad Darth Solo, that would not be that. so good. Bad uh, training. No, <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, well, I mean, one of the things we should talk about is, is, uh, is loose ends and where we go from here, because I think that's one of the beautiful things about this story is there are lots of loose ends. I, I read an interview with J.J. Abrams where he said specifically, uh, and I think he's dead on, one of the great things about the original Star Wars is there are all these statements that are made in it that hint at just giant backstory or wide swaths of universe that are not addressed or explained in any way it's just like oh well there's this thing and then you you fought in the clone wars whatever and it's just kind of like they move on and you have to fill in the gaps with your imagination and there is a lot of that in this film and i like that because i feel like in, in a lot of blockbusters modern blockbusters there is this economy of scope where uh the only things that get mentioned are the things that we need to resolve the story later and uh, otherwise we take it all out otherwise it's just mopped up and it's perfectly tidy and star wars has never really been that and this movie is not like that there are lots of things that are tossed off that you never get any more information about so there's that aspect of it and then there's the aspect of it that this is very clearly a film that when you get to the end you're excited to find out what happens next because this is not the completion of a journey it is step one on a new journey and that's really exciting but it does mean that we're left at the end of this film with all these questions about like hey finn how's the back (laughs) you doing okay (laughs) and uh oh bb8 oh right he belongs to poe he can't go with 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 uh, ray what's gonna happen there and uh luke skywalker uh say something (laughs) all of these things are to come but uh (laughs) so i think it's exciting that that we're at that point where we've got not only kind of things that may never be addressed like uh where Luke's uh, lightsaber was found in the. Yeah, I I really <laughs> wanted to know. From another I, time. For another time, I really want. I so badly wanted to know that because I was like, well, well, that's been. It was like it fell down somewhere in Bespin, like like thirty years ago. Yeah, it was Where, in the garbage. Well, those same yeah. junk collectors are just waiting for lightsabers to fall from the sky. The scavengers. Like, There's one. Don't don't let a lightsaber fall from the sky in your head. Pro tip. Well, they turn off. 
They have a, like a like a little switch. They when you pass out, they just turn off. We saw that, in fact. But you know, it is exciting that we're that we have to think about where we're going next here, right? What's the next movie about? Because you mentioned uh, where where does Kylo Ren go, and I thought about that. That's the beauty of it is that where does Rey go? We the, the the film ends with her on the top of the the mountain, which she clearly has been in mental contact with Luke Skywalker in her dreams because she says, "I imagine an ocean. I see the island." Yeah, I like that they didn't hammer that home. They just no. leave it for you to figure out. Yep. But but it's but then we go and there's the ocean and there's the island. And it's like okay, she's been seeing either mental contact or been seeing the future or whatever. But uh, she ends up in that place. Seeing, like that's that's the beauty of the force. The like, force. Of course, she's been seeing her past and her future. That's of how course. the force she, works. She, she sees Kylo Ren uh, betraying his class at the Jedi Academy. Yeah. She see, of course, she's dreaming about that island. That's her future. She just didn't know. She didn't have a context for understanding this because no one like Yoda ever explained to her. You know, you're going to see the future and the past in the force. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have strange as, dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's uh presumably she's going to be trained and and uh, Luke's there looking like uh like Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh he's going to presumably uh train her in the ways of the Force while uh Snoke or somebody whoever Snoke is other than like a giant holographic golem uh is is going to do the same for Kylo Ren. So, you know, that's that's the you know, we can see the pieces are being moved here. And then, of course, there's been the attack on the Republic. So who knows what the backdrop is in terms of the, the kind of the galactic story. There's a lot there's a lot here. Two, two to, questions is, is, is are they just standing on the top of that mountain for like a really long time? Yeah. Like just like staring each other down. No, that's um, on that's on my bad list. No, his yeah. first his first test. You know, well, it's like I get her extending her her hand, but it's like they had the shot where she extends her arm with the lightsaber, and they have the helicopter shot. The and they're helicopter like, shot let's use them one. both. No, yeah. No. Yeah. No helicopter. No shot. helicopter shot is so so Lord of the Rings that it just made me. Uh, cringe. Yeah, I have Lord of the Rings and Survivor as my reference points. That <laughs> first of all, being a Jedi, how long can you hold the lightsaber up? Yeah. Well, so here, like this. <laughs> This is actually the longest section in my bad section is okay. just about the helicopter shot because it is such an obvious misstep. It is so unnecessary and it's so short. Here's what's wrong. You know, Ren already said Lord of the Rings has that visual language staked out in modern movies. So does Survivor and other reality programs. Mm. There's no precedent for that kind of shot in the rest of this movie or the rest of Star Wars. And there are certain problems inherent in helicopter shots. Uh, the background is the fastest moving thing in a background shot, and it's in focus because of the huge focal depth, because of the zoom on the thing. So you are mostly distracted by the dazzling background of uh, moving behind them instead of looking at the characters, and that draws your eye. And because it's a helicopter shot, your actors have to hold the same pose for a long yeah. time, and inevitably, the emphatic outstretched hand that you saw in the actual you know, medium shot is gone in the helicopter shot because she's been holding her arm out like for an hour while the helicopter or the drone circles and they say, keep holding your arm out, yep. keep holding your arm out. You just don't get as good performances. Oh my God, I just want to remove that shot so badly mm -hmm. from the movie. It really could have worked with, with Luke just pulling his hood back. And like right, standing right, for like, a second, yeah. and then they cut. That like that would not It didn't have the courage of its convictions. You, it didn't have the courage to end with the sharp cut. You can end with the sharp cut after she extends her arm. You can end after Luke takes his hood off. You can end with with just a look at on Luke's face because the whole idea is that's a deciding moment. What's going to happen? Is Luke going to accept the call? I mean, he's a hermit for a reason. He was he has he been expecting her? So it's all in his facial expression. But there's just so many ways you could have cut that and ended it dramatically if you had the courage to do so. Oh, the helicopter shot. Oh, JJ, why? Okay. I, I didn't. I didn't hate the helicopter shot. I hated the length of it because it seemed it's completely ridiculous that she would have her arm extended for that amount. That amount uh, of time. Well, that, yeah, that was the thing. We all like walked out of it thinking like, are, are they still just standing yeah. there? It's been like I 20 minutes. I assume that that it's artistic 
artistic license in that I think that it's just she hands the lightsaber and then they decided it's freeze frame, but mm-hmm. it looks awful. But but does she hand it? Like that's the, the tension of the moment is the the lightsaber is offered. We don't know if the lightsaber is accepted because again, Luke has his peace out on this whole thing. Like he is <laughs> contemplating, he is away. We don't know if he's been calling to her with the dream or she's just been dreaming about it because it's her potential future. But Luke is not signing up to be like he's not there helping the resistance out. He's he is away yeah. for a reason. So mm-hmm. the whole the whole thing. Uh, uh, he's a, he's away for a reason, but R two activated for a reason. I just well, I just yeah. say yeah. episode eight should start with them still standing there, but it's just dark out. Like that's just. <laughs> the first shot we you take it already we good i'm afraid episode eight will gloss over that because yeah. really I, what i was most interested in in this thing is about they're setting up is like how do you convince luke to come back he's got reasons for thinking like that that he's doing more harm than good and he needs to to go away or maybe he's on a research mission like you don't know mm-hmm. what right. the whole deal is but Jedi if they just show up like all that his best friend got killed. Come on, by his former student slash nephew. Like that's a pretty good reason to come back. I, I but like <laughs> the thing is, you don't know if if he is, uh, if he's away f- for a reason that is that is convincing to him, and that he will need to be convinced. You know that, that like that the argument has to be made. If they just cut forward, it's like, oh, now Ray is trained and Luke was a trainer. Wait, how did no, that I get resolved? Why did have he to decide to come back? We're going to have no to convince, but also, I mean, I think there's, we're overlooking a major, or not necessarily overlooking, but not talking about a major aspect of this, which in part is Ray's parentage, and in part is, you know, if it was just about convincing Luke to come back, Leia would have been on that, on that train. Like, Leia oh, would have... find Leia, him. No, I'm saying that when they, when they go to leave, it's mm-hmm. Ray, Chewie, and R2. If it was just about her if it if it was just about Luke you need to come back and help us you know defeat Ray and or defeat Ren and defeat all of this this uh first order nonsense she would have come but it's not it's not just Luke you need to come back it's Luke here is this uber powerful jedi that just had a run in with your failed apprentice let's uh Maybe you should consider training her. And also, maybe she's your daughter. Maybe she's related to you. Either way, she's a very powerful Jedi. TBD. I go I go strongly against the like I'm really hoping she's not in any way related to them. I think the the explanation in some way like I don't know. I came out of this sort of like a, with a more metatextual analysis of like of course she is a person who is like from a desert planet who is untrained who come goes off to join the rebellion and gets sucked into events beyond her control and I feel like maybe there's there's yeah, again, you know, John's going to be annoyed with me for talking about the force again. Um but I feel like there's a patterns, right? Like there's certain amount of patterns that can, that arise in in these kinds of movies and i mean you can you can take sort of a joseph campbell approach to it if you want and say like the hero's journey and how these things work but i think in some ways it had to be that the person who was going to be able to defeat the person defeat a villain who is related to him like the most powerful jedi by blood is going to have to sort of come from the same humble origins and follow a similar path the patterns i was seeing i was getting a more cynical take like look this program whereby you take children that you may want to hide that may be force powerful and put them on a desert planet this program is not working no <laughs> this is this this relocation and adoption foster family desert planet force child it is totally not, they need to stop that because it just you know what happens like <laughs> they have their life on the planet but then they come out from the planet and they're just a problem from everybody so if you think you're hiding them there it's not going to work if you think you're getting them out of the game there it's not going to work stop putting these kids on desert planets like this is again assuming that she was put there intentionally Part- Part of Ray's part of Ray's story in the next film definitely has to be, you know, why was she left on Jakku? 
who is she you know what yeah. what's her what's her story and how she deals with that because if she if she was you know i i'm not sure my gut feeling is that she was left there um temporarily and then something happened perhaps even a uh a, a terrible thing involving uh, Luke Skywalker's uh, pupils mm. or something, but some something bad happened, and then and and she's now sort of stuck there. But I don't know. Why would you put her there temporarily in the, in the care of that evil gruff guy who doesn't give her enough? Because that's yeah. who they hand her to. Like when it, the little girl. Yeah, it's true. Original drafts of the script had her with Max von Sydow's character, and that's. I, it's not really clarified in this version who exactly who she's staying with. Although you do hear the gruff guy in that one flashback being like, "Come on, yeah. girl, stop crying." Yeah, it's it's um, a it's a mystery, but obviously that's that's a key part of her story that we we would have to deal with in the next yes. film. Yes, I mean, I think she is related to the resistance in some way because she has a tiny X-wing doll, and it's not yeah. like unless. Yeah. Unless someone was carrying around a tiny X-wing doll in that salvage, which I highly doubt, mm. I'm guessing the tiny X-wing doll well, did, is her. Is yeah, I assume, did I assume she, she make, made it, it. make it herself? I assume yeah, she because, made it. Yeah, because the Battle of Jakku is all around her. But she's idolizing yeah. X-wing pilots, right? So there's Wait, something going on. She knows about the legend of, of Skywalker. She mm-hmm. knows yeah. about like, the Millennium Falcon, Han Solo, yeah, all of those the, things. Yeah. The, she knows the Jedi about. mind trick. She. It's not like that comes out of thin air. She knows the Jedi mind trick exists because it's part of the myth of Luke Skywalker and the myth of the Force that she is you know come in contact with through the the tales of the war she knows han solo was in uh you know that war like she knows all the stories i mean and they just may sound fantastical but she's play acting them by putting the mm-hmm. helmet on and everything not ever, like she's not like looking to the sky longing to join the rebellion she's more like you know putting it on her head like the same way kid put on like a, a fireman's helmet like only some only a few kids actually have the ambition to become firemen but everyone puts on the fireman helmet so she's putting on the pilot helmet like that would be fun but that's not my life so we should talk about um, – we've been talking for a while, but we've got some stuff to cover yet. Uh, classic series, classic trilogy characters. You know, we mentioned Han Solo getting killed by his son, but we get Han and Leia and, you know, Luke appears at the end. But but if, if you've got thoughts <laughs> oh my about – God, he doesn't even get a line and he's like second build on the poster, I think. Yeah, he's second build in the credits. That's what blew me yeah. away. Harrison yeah. Ford in second. It's Mark Hamill. Great. Really? His, wow. his agent is amazing. It's, it's pretty good. Well, you know, he's obviously going to appear again. And whereas Han Solo is, is the one who is the strongest presence in this film, which is one of the reasons that I was sitting there halfway through going, wow, he's in this movie a lot i He's bet this it. is it <laughs> well we, we, we called that three years ago oh, didn't yeah. We? yeah do you remember that episode we were like who, who do we think is going to die in the the first episode yeah, yep, of totally. the new star wars and i think we all agreed han it was nice to know yeah. that they'd be like they clearly were like all right we're gonna get one movie out of yep. harrison Ford, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use we're gonna ring yeah. every in ounce out of him and, and they did know. say I really, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I really, he, he looks like he's having fun. He looks like Han Solo. He talks like Han Solo. Uh, You know, not to say I liked all of the decisions that were made about his character, but I I really can't fault him at all for the performance in this movie. It's just, he's, I, or John is grumbling, but I'm going to say I I delight in his performance in this movie, um, whether it be borrowing Chewie's (laughs) bowcast. I really like this. Um, Or just, you know, uh, any of the other, talking to John Boyega and Daisy Ridley I just I think it's great it's yes he's a heavy he's a bit of a deus ex machina at a lot of these points 
but that makes it that much more meaningful when he gets killed you know it's it is sort of like we're gonna we're gonna anchor you in from this character that you know and love we're gonna have him be around to sort of explain what's what and what's going on but we're also not gonna let you rely on him forever because you know he's he's got a role to serve and he sort of you know ends up being this this film's obi-wan kenobi like oh hey i'm the experienced characters here for you now you're on your own um so i i thought he was deployed well i know not everybody thinks the same thing but they're wrong well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said he looks like han solo he talks like han solo like and that i think is the the root of of the problem I and mean, it's, it's it's always going to be problematic in these things for a lot of reasons first of all uh, I mentioned before that uh, this movie is novel and that it, make, it tries to make everybody into actual characters, including groups that are traditionally not allowed to be actual characters, which includes women, sadly, but also old people. Most of the time when there's a character the age of these actors in the movies, their defining characteristic is that they're old. They're old and they're wise or they're old in some character. Like, and so they, they fill the role of the old person. Harrison Ford and, and, uh, and Carrie Fisher are not in this movie primarily as old people. They are playing characters with with particular roles, which is refreshing and great. And it's a little bit weird because, like I said, when do old people get roles that this old in movies that aren't defined by their old? Like, I am a grandfather. I am the elder Mad statesman. Mad Max Fury I am, Road. <laughs> I, I am the wise older person. Yeah, Mad Max is one of the, the other few examples where that old person in, in, in the, the band of biker women is not defined by her being old. She just happens to be old, but she's a character. And anyway, so that is all good and refreshing, but... When you have characters this old, when people age, what they do, how what they do with their life necessarily has to change because aging is a real thing. And they ask Harrison Ford in this movie to do pretty much every single thing in the same way that Han Solo did when he was 35 years old or wherever he was in the original trilogy. And that, I mean, it's just, it's just difficult to pull off. It's hard for plausibility wise, you would imagine, sure. Han Solo is still around, but he's older now and has to go about his Han Soloing in a different way rather than going about his Han Soloing in essentially the same way he's always gone about it because he's clever with the blaster. He's good with talking like he did all the things that he's done in the other movies, but trying to make a 73 year old like what it comes down to is I'm not entirely sure that the actor was up for it. And I think it makes sense that the actor wouldn't be up for it because the actor is really old, too, just like the character and the character would not be up to it either and i think leia came off better one because she's not in the movie that much and second because everything they had her doing was in a way that would be totally appropriate for a person her age she wasn't running through the death star saying you know you came in that thing you're braver than i thought and blasting you know she's not doing that anymore because she's she's too old for that you can't that's not her thing she's not swinging across canes she's not shooting people on you know endor uh, it's it was a not a good fit uh, between his character and what they asked him to do based on age. Now, that said, because he's Harrison Ford and he's an amazing human being, he pulled off almost everything he was asked to do pretty convincingly, almost convincingly, because he's he's an amazing person. He's a good actor. He knows Han Solo really well. Uh, he pulled off a lot of funny lines that would only be funny coming from a Han Solo. Some of them would only be funny coming from an older Han Solo. Uh, and, and that I give it credit for. But I think the general sort of cognitive dissonance has two parts. One is that we're just, like I said, not used to seeing old people be get to be actual characters who aren't defined by the age. And that's the good half of it. And the bad half is Han Solo at this age, though he may still have the same attitude and be young at heart, would necessarily have to change the way he Han Solos. And I felt like he Han Soloed in this one too much like the old one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you because uh, yeah, of I the way that too. the script 
is set up and and it's set up this way for this reason i think which is han solo is regressing he has gone in a spiral after losing his son and I, he's I I, and I he's gone it. back to what he was doing and he's and and he's not as good at it and he's getting in trouble and he's and he's kind of down on his luck and he's run out of people to to swindle in the galaxy and so i feel like that's that's the script saying you know this is what happens when you know he's regressed to his old ways and it's not going so well and it's actually kind of sad a little bit. I mean, it's like it's great that it's on solo, but although I'm I'm unclear whether he was ever really that great at his job of being a <laughs> being a scoundrel and a swindler because he, he you know he had the death mark. He he's always kind of been in trouble. Um, but uh, but I think that you're meant to feel like really a little bit of like really Han. It's great to see that you're a swindler again, but it's also kind of sad because well, what are you running you away were from? General, right? Like that's you, right. You were, you were a hero of the rebellion you were a general how the hell did you end up picking up trash and it's like it's like a marriage breaking up with the death of a child it, it is the yeah, the, the disappearance of their of their son and the him turning evil uh you know his relationship with leia fell apart at that point and he was kind of off with his freighter and his crew most of whom got eaten by the by the freight um and it's just i mean I, I i buy it because that's what his story arc is sort of put out to be and and so that makes me kind of accept where han is so i accept all of that that's good for the backstory my pro- the problematic part is not all that because like you said it works it's after the death of the child the breakup him on the, the garbage ship which is pretty crappy him looking for the millennium falcon to re- to regain his lost youth or whatever that all fits uh, and his general incompetence on the ship and his crew getting eaten and stuff the problem is <laughs> His Han Soloing through the rest of the movie with Ray and Finn, like right? running around and shooting at people. Exactly, and stuff like that. that is the Han Soloing. He is in there in the mix. Chewie could be in the mix because you know for a Wookiee, he's still in his prime or whatever. Sure. But he, it's the actions in the plot of the movie when he is essentially the mover and shaker of Han Solo proportions, leading the assault. I can get him into the base. I can run around. I can run down hallways. I can punch people. I can shoot. And that is old-style Han Soloing. And it would be okay if he wanted to try to do those things, but he should be way worse at it. And, like, it's not a big deal. It's not like it took me out of the movie. And like I said, if anyone could pull it off, it's him. And if and if anyone's going to buy into it, it's going to be us who have this incredible affection for the Han Solo character. But it's it's borderline like I, I really feel like it. what do you want you want him to like pant and say i'm too old for this crap no he, he has to he has to like i said you have to as as actual people get older you have to find a way to go about whatever it is that you're trying to do in a different way like you have to become more treacherous and wily and rely on because he does that in, in the interpersonal scenes in the interpersonal scenes he leans on the fact that he's been around the block and he's not as stupid as he was when in the original they trilogy. always figure out the they, truth yeah he knows a thing or two he looked he looks at finn and knows for a fact instantly that this guy is not with the resistance all right he is that is showing his age and his wisdom um and you could have had him in the movie in the same way does he have to be with them running around blasting things setting charges i mean he's got to have the confrontation at some point but i I feel like you could have you got to give him a way to do his han soloing in a way like like sort of like the way an animal will like you know hide its injury when it has like a, a limp or something to not appear weak you have to have a way for him to hide all his frailties instead of saying no he's at 70 whatever he's still able to run down the hallways of death star like things and blast people whatever that's, it's a, that's it's, a, a, it's a fantasy movie he can be he can be old and spry and i know old and spry people do plenty of that stuff so i mean not necessarily running around and punching people and shooting things but like there are there are exceptions to any rule and i don't think it necessarily you have to say it follows yeah, it I, must I mean, follow really, really the like the, the, real the, the in-universe thing i don't know you can explain that away right but i i feel like just the the real problem with it is that the actor the actor himself 
it, yeah, but I he, feel like he was, sold was it. Not That's the thing for me. It. Is like he sold he, everything he did. He, so he did you know, try well, to sell it, but I just feel like he's not. I don't know. Like I, I, I really feel like it's a problem. With, yeah, I, I, he, <laughs> he the actor is is the problem. If if the actor was more young feeling, then we wouldn't even care about his age. If he looked like he was sixty five and ran around like a thirty year old, we'd be fine. But he looks like he is his actual age, uh, and. I yeah, thought that's but I mean it and it really varied from scene to scene. Some scenes I felt like he's doing his Han Solo in the old way and I completely buy it. In other scenes he seemed the actor seemed like he was a little bit tired. Well he did break his leg at <laughs> yeah, one point, right? Yeah, I mean the actually yeah. It did it did actually cause physical trouble. Um one of uh, more about Han Solo, a little bit about uh about Leia too. Um she she has fewer scenes, more more than Luke, fewer than Han. I thought uh, Carrie Fisher uh, did a did a good job. I when when uh, they said they were all going to be in this movie, I thought, is Carrie Fisher going to be going to be up to it? And how is that going to work? Because she she it, it, uh, in the other things I've seen her in recently, she's so physically different than like like a totally different person than she was in in the early uh, '80s. Um, but uh, I I thought she did a great job as being recognizably Leia, and that she's got her job as the general in the Resistance, and she's got a map, and she's got Admiral Akbar, and <laughs> she's got Greg Grunberg, and they can figure it all out. <laughs> Ken Lung, and she, dre- she dresses Ken up Lung, like an yeah. old lady, and she tells other people what to do because she's a matriarch. She's, you know? Yeah, she's the Mon Mothma of the new yeah. trilogy. I really wanted her to call Han Solo Flyboy just once, just once. <laughs> I'm I'm just sad that. Well, there's always one thing. You still drive me crazy. Wasn't you're still a scoundrel? Because uh-huh. that that line seemed like it should have been. No, I I think that her she fit in very nicely. Uh, the thing that kept coming back to me while I was watching it the second time was her eyes. Um, they they do a very very nice job of centering her in the frame, um, and framing her in such a way that you see basically the way that she communicates with her eyes and. You know, people change throughout their lifetime um, and get older, have uh, electroshock therapy, like things happen beyond our control to change our body type and change the way we look. But through and through, like the the eyes of Princess Leia are the same. It's the same Mm -hmm. person behind the and the the same looks and the same um, the same interactions. I think they did a really it was a really smart choice, basically um, having her do the stuff that she she was doing i think they they maintain and they highlight uh just how much of a badass leia is in her own right without necessarily needing to run down corridors she was never she was never really the person who wanted to run down corridors she just ended up there and she's just kind of like all right right, you know i can handle this but i'd I'd prefer to be you know running a battlefield i think she's not even mon mothma in some ways she's more like the the general dadana from a new hope or mm-hmm. Crix Maydeen from return of the jedi like she's she's not just like mon mothma was a like political figure and a head mm-hmm. of state she's on the ground she's running like ops she is in charge she, of she's this on military she's on unit. the craft that lands when that's the, true when the resistance right lands, exactly she's, she's on the ship. she's a military personnel not a political or that's diplomatic true. personnel and i think that's awesome yeah i think the best use of her in this uh and the best part of her relationship with han is surrounding the essentially like like jason said i think that the death of the child thing where the child isn't actually dead um she sends han to his death because like they're twice they're, uh yeah they're yeah. well they're, but no but they're they're meeting and lo- their long-awaited meeting like the way they come to a reconciliation and like her last hug with him or whatever is that basically the point she says and it's almost as if she was had been resisting saying it up to that point it says when you come back bring our son with you which is mm-hmm. basically saying don't come, don't back, come without back without our son yeah. and and really it's like but really what it's saying is if it turns out that our son 
can't be brought back, then I don't I don't want to live on anymore. And neither does Han. Like so he goes there saying, I mean, cause, you know, they they showed Han had ample opportunity to leave or shoot at him or whatever. Han made the decision and said, I don't want to continue to live in a world where my son is like this. So I'm either coming back with him or he's going to kill me. And I'm I'm bringing it to a head like that on purpose and not because I'm going to come back as a force ghost. Yeah. <laughs> now she does. She does. She has two conversations with him, which are basically just go get him. And if you die, then, you know, oh, well, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> it's not just, like, like, oh, well, it's well just like, she doesn't, they all don't want to go on like down. this anymore. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think they need a nice job of showing that even though these two people have been separated by time and by, you know, this gulf, but like of losing a child, they're still, I think they, they still love each other. Yes. It is clear. And they are still, you know, they are not like, at each other's throats or like uh, and there's no animosity between them no um there's like a very there's grief and there's sadness mm-hmm. but like it's great that like i know people some people who are going into this worried about like that how does that relationship survive and i don't want to see them you know like angry at each other uh you know and 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 that's not here i think it's much it's much it's sweet it's bittersweet right like it's it's got that edge to it and i and i think that that's i really appreciated that they could maintain some of the old relationship while also acknowledging that there is this tremendous sadness between them so it was i thought it was it was pretty deftly handled okay we've got one other classic trilogy character that i didn't mention who we have to talk about i mean we can talk about c3po and r2d2 but they don't do a lot but we have to talk about chewbacca because this is like chewbacca's movie I know I love Chewbacca so much. Yeah, I was so worried they, he was going to die when they split up. When times. when he yeah. and Hans yeah split up, and I'm yeah. like, one of them is going to die. Please don't be Chewie. Sorry, yeah. I love Hans Solo, but yeah. please don't kill <laughs> Chewbacca because you already killed him once in the expanded universe. I'm still angry about that. That's when I stopped reading those books. <laughs> those moments are always like uh, that moment where they split up. Like in some respects, you split up. We'll it's okay around. for people to be able to figure out that something ominous is going to happen, but in other respects, that was a little clumsily done. Because I feel like everybody knew. Like yeah, take the detonator because I, I, I will be dead. Yeah. They had him say it's like, oh, you know, that's a better idea. Let's do the other thing. It just stood out so much that, you know, now is the time when something. Be- and, and at that point, I was like 50 50 of which one of them was going to die because they kept teasing Chewbacca dying. But, but what I thought, again, getting back to the actress, which I couldn't help thinking about a little bit, is the way it's Peter Mayhew, right? The, yeah. the way yeah. he the way he runs he's in this this will blow my theory if he's not right he's in that suit right no i, I my understanding is when when uh when it's when it's walking much, he? He, it's not him because oh. he can't so then so then it's a, a a thing that has already come to pass like basically the way peter mayhew in the original trilogy runs around as chewbacca and handles his weapon is weird um very kind of hunched shoulders elbows tucked yeah. in it's weapon held high it's a different body chest. language here yeah. Right. And so any future Chewbacca, whether it's the one in this movie that apparently wasn't Peter Mayhew or any future Chewbacca, because they apparently they a really long time, has to now imitate Peter Mayhew's body type, which shows <laughs> that like that the actor inhabiting these things actually makes a difference. Yeah. You know, that that because we all accept that is that's how Chewie behaves. So whoever was in the big suit running around here did an admirable job of imitating the weird body language that Peter that, that not every tall person would have. Like if you put a big, tall NBA player in there. They have a different body language, a different sort of carriage, a different gait, a different way of holding their their gun and everything like that. And this Chewbacca was, uh, although he had a very minor role with just some, you know, he, he wasn't a big actor or a player in this thing. 
he he was Chewbacca through and through, and I was I was glad to see that he he's the character that ages the best, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Also, the uh, you know we get we, there are very many humorous moments uh, when when uh, they're on the Millennium Falcon, uh, when uh, Ray is <laughs> interacting getting, with him, and then and then when he gets patched up at the end. Well, well, first you first off, first afraid. off, John Boyega yeah. is taking is taking care of him, and so <laughs> he's almost killed me six times. Not that I have a problem with that. And yeah, then later at the end, where he's like. Rrr, 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 it's like you must have been very brave. Yeah, I, I, God, I love Chewie. Chewie's so a big baby. That's he is. So yeah, well he's in the, in the original baby. trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean you're cold? Yeah. 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 Oh, what do you mean you're cold? Yeah. Let the Wookiee win. Well, he is I don't naked. Care what you smell. Yeah. No, so uh, yeah. Yeah. It was. It's great. You know, Han. As great as it is to see Han, Han and Chewie are always kind of a unit, right? Like you know, and I think you couldn't have had one without the other. And it, it is actually painful to see Chewbacca. I think at the end of this, they don't give him quite enough time to, like, quite enough time to grieve before R 2s like, oh yeah, Han Solo, that guy was great. But like, hey, remember Luke Skywalker? We're gonna go find him now. Mm-hmm. But like, it is kind of painful to see, like, in some ways, Chewie flying the, the Falcon, knowing that his. You know. He's not flying as the copilot. No, he flies it to when to rescue them. He flies it yeah. when they're when they're dragging him out. And like at that point, mm-hmm. it's it's it is kind of a bit like, you know, it's 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 sad to know that those two will will never be together again. In the same way that I actually think, you know, I was I was thinking to myself that it's sad that we we never get to see Han and Luke share a scene. Yeah, um, like that's kind of a bummer because like I was like looking forward to that, like you know, that that slice of nostalgia. But there's there's plenty mm-hmm. of other. Well, they they had Han reminiscing about Luke. Yeah, I knew Luke. He was real. The Force is real, and like that's all. You know, he gets to play that scene without Luke there. But at least it's clear. It's a it, it's a callback to their relationship. Sure. Like, yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't forget about him. Han's draw, job offer to Ray is essentially yeah. the passing of the torch that makes it feel okay. Besides, Chewie likes you. Uh, that that she ends up going off in the Falcon, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. the blessing of Han and Chewie. I, at least she didn't raid his closet, Lando style. Yeah, that's right. Hey, there's there's some cool vests in here. <laughs> yeah, it's like she's retro. standing out at the, at the. She goes up to meet Luke at the end, and she's got the Han Solo vest on. Looks like what are you doing? Put it back. Uh, we could go on for ninety hours, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, if there's anything else that you would like to talk about, I've got a whole list here. But you know, it's good. I, I I'll say I'll say one thing, which is um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o as uh, the voice of Maz. The pirate who is the little orange lady with goggles who is uh, in the in her little watering hole, her little cantina that gets blown to hell by uh, the First Order. Uh, I, I enjoyed that character quite a bit. I thought that yeah, was I a... I thought she, she was fantastic. That was a not... I was dubious of that character. A CGI going character, yeah. And she, she really just... Like, I, for one thing, I even though I knew it was her... It, you know, it, it was not like I. She was just did such a good job of doing that character as that character, rather than me getting distracted by who the who the actor was. Um, and just yeah, it, it was. You know, it's not maybe Yoda level, but like there was definitely a like this is probably the best CGI character I feel like I've seen in a Star Wars movie. Well, it's well written. That's the that's yeah. the biggest thing about CGI characters. Not reductionist. And any any character that's not, you know, traditionally human is that they have to be well written and they have to be identifiable. And Maz's character, I mean, serves a very important plot point in this movie. Um she re- you know, she she unites Rey with Luke Skywalker's uh original lightsaber, aka Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber, yeah. which yep. we thought was lost to the ages. And she does so in a way um 
while also speaking about the Force in a way that I don't think we've really heard the Force spoken about in quite a long time. Um, we're we're finally away from midichlorian battles, um, and it's just like the Force lives through, goes through all living things, and the Force is alive, and don't be afraid to let it in. Hint, hint, you're probably repressing something, and closing your eyes at a climactic battle might actually do you some good. Um Oh yeah, let's. Uh, can we talk about that cl- said climactic battle? Sure. Because uh, so we talked a little bit about Finn's role in that, um, and Finn protecting Ray while she's out cold. Um, my f- one of my favorite moments from the film is uh, Ray's force grab of Anakin's lightsaber, where I knew it was coming, but that didn't. And it, the special the second time around, I especially knew it was coming, but every time I get chills well the way it's set up I, I was expecting it to be like he tries to pull it toward him and it goes toward her instead but instead uh they're i guess in line so it he, it pulls toward him and he's like oh i'll catch it and it flies right on past him and goes oh, to it, her it boomerangs around him like it takes a little a little bend and goes Beautiful. back in the other direction yeah that's a it's, very nice moment and it's it, to me it feels earned um especially mm-hmm. after everything that's happened throughout the entire film it's one of those it's a shot that could have gone terribly wrong Um, Where people could have been like, oh, you know, the girl has the lightsaber and what the hell and how does she know how to use the force all of a sudden? Luke could do that for like two movies. Um, And I I really think that the way that they built Rey up and the way that they sort of tested and played with her powers while she's captive um, and, and all of the growth that she's had throughout the movie. It's just it's great. It was a well-balanced final battle because uh, uh, Rilo is injured first of all kylo he's not very good she's second of all and (laughs) and and like you know so and she has demonstrated fighting skills with her stick uh so it's not Mm -hmm. as if she's like i've never fought anyone before and she hasn't used a blaster but she's good with a stick and so combination of her getting her feet under her having a little bit of force powers going on uh, and him being injured and angry and just generally a mess and not good at his job and also having like the you know it, like it's it's believed i've heard some people say it's un, implausible that he could defeat her why didn't he like you know he could stop a la- blaster bolt and then he couldn't do that he was a mess by the time that oh yeah that, that battle took place and and he, he was just never really good to dad. begin with you know right. no, I, that takes a toll on you yeah i mean he was a mess mentally he was a mess he's like hitting himself where he was injured he had been shot he had already fought uh finn and you know defeated him but still taken a couple of swipes during that time and ray was essentially unharmed at that point um and had just pulled the lightsaber into her hand and, you know, she, you know, was on her second win there. So I, I really like that battle. Um, and I, I got this was on a good decision section. I have a lot of good decisions. One, speaking of uh, of uh, the mask and everything taking it off. I'm so glad they took that mask off because I didn't want them. I didn't want them to hide his parentage for a really long yeah. time. I didn't want mm-hmm. him to be in the mask for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I so did not want him to die in that climactic battle. Oh, like, I'm so glad. Yeah. And so, no, and, so and how do you have him not die? They separated them with an earthquake. Like, fine. Oh. Reason to get them apart. Such a such a J.J. Abrams story move. But I also love it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because I just didn't want it. Because if he died, like, this, this, don't Darth Maul him, please. Like, he's such a good character; yeah. he needs <laughs> to live. Yeah, right, cut him in half. No, it's funny you mentioned Ray's power, and I, I did want to mention the Jedi mind trick scene, especially notable because the stormtrooper she mind tricks is apparently Daniel, Daniel Craig, Craig, yeah, which is yep. excellent. Um, and also just a hilarious scene where it doesn't work at first, and then of course mm-hmm. it does work. I will tighten these restraints. She's learning. 
everything yeah. where she yeah she goes to you know like it turns out she didn't really need that much of their help like the scene where finn's like i'm gonna find her we're gonna find her and hansel keeps like nodding behind him like look 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 and it's like oh she's she's climbing right up she's fine she doesn't need us nope yeah um, it's, a, it's another subversion of like they're gonna go in and rescue her because she's trapped but their rescue mm-hmm. is like i'll meet you after you've already escaped yeah, him. right exactly yep. which is now which let's, is nice. and and it gives them time to uh to set some more charges and eventually and inevitably uh help the resistance not die which yep. is awesome one other thing about that lightsaber battle that i really enjoyed was ray's fighting technique um, I don't know if people notice this, but the way that she swings the lightsaber is absolutely cued from her times her time using the quarter staff, mm. where she so attacks top down. Yeah, she attacks top down, and she tries to 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 hit with it and to stab it's with it. Much more kendo. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Exactly. It's not it's not traditional saber fighting, and um, likewise, when Finn handles the saber, it's a very different like technique as well. It's like a yeah. baseball bat. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I, I picture that he probably had training in that vibro axe that we see yeah, earlier in the exactly. movie from another s- yeah. stormtrooper. But I really appreciate that they that there there are multiple ways of handling lightsabers that are shown very clearly, and none of them look over the top like, oh, I'm so skilled with a lightsaber, I've been using it my whole like. Even when Ray taps into the force and basically goes all Avatar state on uh, on Re- on Ren, she's still herself she's still fighting like herself she has she may have additional spirit and additional fire behind her but she's not suddenly a lightsaber genius none of them fight like jedi none well and ren has got the uh he's got the twirly stuff it's like he's like he learned enough to like he learned like it's like pen flipping you know you learn enough to do a show that's exactly what i thought is he's kind of of moved but it's not his pen he's not very good though because he gets he takes some hits he get like he shouldn't from a person like finn who is you know trained as a stormtrooper but not like doesn't shouldn't know how to use a lightsaber yeah. like he's he doesn't know yeah he's he learned a little bit like enough to show off and when you're fighting probably a bunch of other people who don't have lightsabers you're probably pretty awesome yeah um before we get to uh, to the end here um i had one other note I, and i do want to hear john's uh lists because that's very exciting but um before we get there uh andy circus is performing snoke as a cgi character okay he's in a question he's in a in a like a if giant hologram so. Is he giant or is the hologram giant? The hologram is giant. I think that was my an ego well, hologram. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. Yeah. compensation. It's an for intimidation something. hologram. Uh-huh. It is a, it's yeah, well, it's, it's like the emperor's giant head, right? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, the emperor's yeah. head was not really that big in Empire. Well, it was weird because he walks in the room at first, and because you don't know it's a hologram, it's like yeah, it's yeah. like there are it giants. Was a, it was an intentional. Yeah, exactly. It's like no, who, intentional who, mystery. Who the f yeah. is yeah. this alien? I agree. Yeah, that was my major question. So what's his deal, though? So what's his deal? Yeah. Yeah, Snoke is interesting. I Snoke is the person who landed least for me in terms of characters. Yeah. But I also have to remember that in episode four, Palpatine is really, you know, non-existent. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I am having faith, especially because the rest of the movie was so good. I'm choosing to have faith that all of all of Snoke's uh, problems in this movie will be kind of smoothed out with episode eight. When we actually, I, yeah, when we actually get to meet is, him yeah. and not just as a random CGI floating head. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing is just, I, all right, I understand doing giant hologram 
to for intimidation factor. And also, if you notice, I noticed the second time around, uh, especially seeing it in 2D, that's a giant conference room that they're standing in. There, it it looks almost like the old uh, the old Senate room. Yeah, exactly. But there are no, there's no, you know, there there are no Empire people who are sitting in those uh, sitting in those chairs, leaning back, being like, "Hello." Hello, Supreme Leader Snoke. Also, Supreme Leader. Oh boy, I guess the First Order is North Korea. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's much more. I would like to believe, anyway, that there's much more to this story. But you know, I think it's problematic that he he is a Gollum esque character. It's like you yeah, need to go pretty far so from Gollum CG. if you're going to get Andy Serkis. He does, and and I don't know. I would have almost rather just had it be the disembodied voice of the yeah. Supreme Leader. Yeah, than I, mean, I don't think you need to see him as many times as we did either. Yeah. like they don't need to constantly go back to him and be like, oh god, man, we screwed that one up. What do we got to do now? Hey, John. What's on that list of yours? Uh, actually, before we get to my list, uh, I think we got most of my good things. I have a list of bad things, but one more actual <laughs> topic that I think we should oh, touch on, great. mostly because you all you all disagree with me again, maybe, uh, is, and it's one of my another co- more controversial things, um, the music in this movie. I haven't downloaded the soundtrack, but I have seen the movie twice, and it, my impression of the music, my overwhelming mm. impression, summary, getting to the bottom line, is that the Phantom Menace had a stronger soundtrack than mm-hmm. this movie? I agree. Uh, it, I agree. It I would, had I would probably more iconic that. themes. The Duel um, of Fates is yeah, better, and and better Anakin's character theme. themes, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so in this movie, they leaned a lot on old character themes. Because yes. hey, surprise, there's old characters in it. So of course, there's, there's they not have a to ton do, of it, you know. even though I mean, there's right. the yeah. Force theme kind of runs through everything, which isn't really and, a and Leia's, theme. Leia and Leia and Han themes in there a little bit. I've been listening. Yeah, I've been listening to this all day. Ray's theme is very good, although it's interesting. So I was, I was comparing and contrasting the force awakens score which is available on apple music by the way um with uh with some of the older scores and there's a distinct lack of horn section in the force awakens which i think except in the trailers the trailers had it well the trailers do but but the but the actual score has very little Mm -hmm. horn um and the places where you would normally associate you know, I was comparing and contrasting Ray's theme with all of the other major characters because I'm like, maybe parentage. Um, but Ray's theme feels very much like it was lifted from Harry Potter in a way because it has the um, hmm. it has the bells and it has I forget what um, what instrument is being used in there. But the dun, 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 dun. Um, it's a Ray's theme is memorable, but it's not it doesn't feel quite like a star wars theme it's a little it sounds timid that's the word well, i have in my notes timid timid is right and it also it starts very big um something that i was noticing this evening is that a lot of the other main character themes um and leia's in particular starts start very small start with one two three instruments and then they build out from there so you've got this you've got this key core signature theme you know da 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 and then and then you get the entire orchestra then you bring it in then you in, engage the swell and ray's theme kind of begins on a large scale so it doesn't feel like there's anywhere really to build you you add in more instruments but it's not I don't know. It doesn't have the same kind of arc. Um, the The score for me was largely. I'm I'm still listening to it. It's a good score, but it's not. It is definitely not memorable the way that uh, any of the other scores are. Really, uh, although I will say, uh, Scurzo for for X Wings is excellent. That's that's one of the few like high point tracks for me but um but but a lot of them this is very strange i i haven't listened to it enough to to like internalize it yet but it it felt like there was less cohesion um 
somewhat less use of the leitmotif that we, you know, that is such a major part of all the earlier scores. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, I'm, I'm curious to listen to it a little bit more. Obviously I've listened to like the original soundtracks more times than I can mm-hmm. count. And there are weak points in some of those. There's, there's electric guitar portion in the attack of the clone soundtrack that is God awful. And I really wish wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some good stuff in here, but even stuff that I don't know, I, maybe John, you were in the same showing as me. I felt like the, the music mix was a little off in my showing just cause I, in some ways I wanted to be a little louder, a little more immersive. Yeah, I, um, I think the, the volume of that theater is just not that loud, but, but I think it it's also, loud, yeah. it, it just has to do, I think the mix is okay. Like, I, I just feel like they, they didn't. Like, the reason I compare it to Phantom Menace is I'm trying to compare it to one of the weaker movies. You know, people don't like the prequels. Phantom Menace has a fantastic score. It does. Right, right. But, but like, but what I'm going, like, the high bar would be like, oh, well, there's no Imperial March in this movie. It's like, well, come on. Like, there's no Imperial, like, how many Imperial Marches do you get in your life? A New Hope doesn't have an Imperial March. In your life. You know, I know, right. But New New Hope had, like, what I was looking for is a stronger statement from the music because one of the defining characteristics of Star Wars is that it's scored, like, you know, behind everything with this. Uh, very, the music is dominant. Like the music doesn't like take a back seat to the action, and so the music is going yeah. to tell you how you should feel about the action. Um, and I'm fine with like Ray's theme being like small and, and timid because she she's in her beginnings here. But a lot of the, the the big bombastic things that were in the trailer weren't even in the action yeah, portions of this. And, and there was no like like because they're so good. The, the, the ones in the trailer are so good. The, the sort of building with a different repeated I don't know what you call it, but the different repeated notes like building to something. There were moments in the movie that could have gone with that. And so no defining theme, leaning on the old themes and having the new characters theme be kind of laid back. It's like it's not that it was a bad soundtrack but it just like it, it's pulled back farther than i thought mm. it should it's be. not as memorable yeah and it's a weird i mean john williams obviously has done every star wars movie so you know obviously he knows what he's doing but this is his first collaboration with jj abrams i believe and so you i i don't know i find myself wondering like who had the leeway here? Who had the you know ultimate say in some of these things? Is this a ultimately a J.J. Abrams decision, or is it just that you know John Williams is also getting on years and he's written a bunch yeah, of these scores? So I he's thought still of that a, as well. He's he's a great he's a great composer. There's there's no arguing about that. But he's eighty three. To, to John's point about Han Solo running around, well, maybe you can't make the same scores that you could when you were thirty years younger. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that develops. But my I agree with the initial inclination that the music here is not as strong as even in some of the prequels yeah agree okay john all right my bad list complain uh, complain the, let's the end on people. a low note yeah <laughs> well no i have this we'll end with summer okay, okay. i gotta i gotta close and okay good 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 good, yeah. good. Yeah. i'm glad we've got um, the uh the rules of order of the uh of the imperial senate uh worked out here we're good yeah so uh, i have three of the bullet points in my bad section begin with the letter c and g uh, I for for the characters like Maz and stuff, I liked her character. I found myself asking, is there is there a reason for this to be a CGI character? Because this movie doesn't have a lot of pure CGI characters. Even I think the big guy behind the counter who doesn't give her fair rations for her I stuff believe that she brings in. I believe that's is, Simon Pegg in a suit. <laughs> right. Like even that, I think they use CGI on the face and everything. But, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. there's enough practicality to it. And it's okay for like the ships are completely convincing and everything like that. But to have a full CG character that's gonna have close ups and be involved in things, like why not just have the the actress who did that voice there as a human? If she was a human in the scene, 
what would that have taken away? I guess she couldn't have crawled on the table, but hell, maybe she could. Like <laughs> uh, that. So her her character is minor, so I, I give them one a pass. Especially it's in a cantina type scene with lots of aliens. Although the other aliens, I felt look more convincing. CG mm-hmm. big bad. I don't know how they're gonna do this. Snoke is CG. Um, and can you can you have a full CG big bad in a movie filled with mm-hmm. people and real stuff? I don't like in this movie. It's fine because it's a hologram, whatever. It's not a big deal. Like it's not you know have baboon eyes tacked onto an actor's face like he was in uh, in Empire, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I what I'm thinking for the future movie having a CG big bad might be a problem. The, the CG monsters on Han's ship that I can't remember the name of. I actually kind of like that scene. I've heard people complain about it that it, it was like, oh, like silly that. fun monsters running around. They like, look like it, that. It, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like, not quite that, as bad as uh, Scotty going through the tubes in the Star Trek. Yeah, it did remind me of a JJ Star Trek yes. scene, right? Yep. But but the, but the character design for that and the CG monsters, like they didn't really fit in that well. That's that's an underappreciated ray line, by the way, where where uh, where Finn says that you know it was that's pulling me lucky. through, and then the door closed. And she says that's lucky, that's lucky. Yeah. You know, that, that's a that's a character moment because Beautiful. it shows that she's not so she doesn't want to like brag. She's just gonna, she doesn't want to hurt his ego to say like I saved yeah. you again, idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all right, and and then the final like these aren't bad. This is this now. I'm getting to the silliness thing. Like because I'm a nerd, I, and like I don't know why I I don't know why this is being triggered in me in this movie and not every other thing. There's something about Star Wars where it doesn't make you question stuff. Like why is there gravity in the Millennium Falcon? Who freaking cares? Like it's just it's part Plating, of the in universe thing. Plating. And yet, when this when this giant planet killing weapon was pulling its energy from the sun, <laughs> it triggered the part of my brain up. that said, "Wait a second! Wait a second! Gravity, orbital dynamics. Like this is not a this is not a, like it doesn't make any sense." I know, and they had the planet turn into like a little sun at the end. And it's the like, sun, meh. the sun, when the sun goes dark, it, the planet is full. But does that mean the planet like moves to other suns? Yeah, I assume it well, eats no, suns. Like, just I, orbital mechanics wise, it doesn't make any sense. And I just would have. Oh. It's almost like I would have been happy. I said. That, all right, this shoots out big stuff. It doesn't have to come from the sun. Like, where does this come from the Death Star? I don't care. There's, a, there's like, an economic problem here where it's like the, they keep deciding to build giant, like, spherical weapons. Yeah, they can, ne- they can never build that like, thing. Like, at least they just had to build a trench on this up. How does the First Order build something that also, big? Also, space... Space doesn't work this way, JJ, is the note that I had written down, which is it is in the, in Star Trek and in Force Awakens, you have destruction on other planets, yep. presumably in other solar systems that seen are just from one seen from yep. by looking up in the sky. Also, yeah, it doesn't are, work are like that. In the Repub- are all the planets in the Republic within in visual, like you can see them yeah. all the size of marbles next to it? Like, how big is the Republic? Is this all in one no. solar system? Because like, Spock watches the destruction of Vulcan from yep. an, a planet yeah. in another solar yeah. system, Nearby, and it's huge like, in the sky, and it's it's like no, 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 no. That's not a, be a little tiny dot. You see nothing. Um, and yeah, again, so, doesn't matter. It's fantasy. I guess that's okay. But right, still, but the trick come is, on, James. The trick is to get you to not question it. So exactly. many other things. But like how is the Death premise. Star powered? What is the reactor in the Death Star? How, why is everyone saying we don't care? But at a certain point, you 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 bring it to the attention of the audience. Oh, actually, we're so clever. We thought of this thing where it takes energy from the sun. And it's like it does what now? How do you think the solar system is work? What is the planet orbiting? Like you've if you could pull any amount of mass from the sun, mm. you could throw yourself out of orbit and, like, your stupid weapon that you built and everyone on it is going to die and freeze to death as you spin out of the solar system. And it's like, this is a terrible plan and it doesn't make any sense. And then it's a sun at the end, like, it, it, it implodes and becomes a sun. But it's like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to think about those things. And I feel like bringing them into the equation only hurts you. Better to just say, it's a planet with a big gun on it. 
Um, and I would have accepted the impossibility of the First Order ever doing like terraforming on that scale. Because if you do like a little diagram of like how big are these features on this thing and how much, where does all the material that you removed? That you know, I don't even want to think about. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. just so it's it's you're, you're exactly right. It's that uh, magic trick of don't think about it. Yeah. Right. So so I don't need to think about it. And then you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, it's Star Wars, whatever. But but if you if you're sitting there going, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's Star Wars. It's fine. I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it by. But uh but yeah, you you feel like maybe there was a better way to explain it away that would not sell yeah, or off. Not, or not to not to explain girls. it at all. And like and, sure. the, and the sad thing is I really liked the I really like the idea that instead of uh, a bunch of green lasers and then a central green laser blowing up planet, I really like the idea of shooting out before I knew it was the sun thing in the movie, like the first time you see it you don't know that it's coming from the sun. It's just this terrible red hot fire that streaks across the galaxy and that can be seen by other planets streaking across the sky yeah. and hitting the planets and blowing them up. I thought that was uh interesting intimidating uh plausibly visible from other planets considering the size and scope of the thing and the fact that it splits into like multiple warheads and they you know can destroy all the different planets and everything like that and i really really love the scene of what's his name staring out the window as the weapon fires with, like the, the lens flare it's one of my favorite good job jj one of my favorite scenes in the movie has lens flare and that one mm-hmm. like it really looks like a scary weapon it really and, looks and it like, had a yeah. moment it had a moment of logicalness to it where i was like oh they made a laser that basically goes through hyperspace or something like yeah. that like oh yeah i can buy that yeah that seems like a good yeah thing. if they didn't explain it your head cannon would be fine and you'd be going along <laughs> yeah. with it. like exactly. no no it's sucking from the sun it, like that whole sucking from the sun thing read to me as both visually and conceptually as something from a jj star trek movie yeah, yeah, we needed a reason. Yeah. We needed a visual timer for you to know when things were going right. to get when really it gets bad. Dark. Although I do think the yeah. I do get I think that the fight in the darkened forest. Yeah, that that was is, really cool. Is, looks really awesome. Mm-hmm. And even like the twilight as it gets darker, like it's too bad they couldn't come up with a more plausible story reason because the whole idea of like a battle as it gets darker and darker is great visually speaking for that battle to like they start in the daytime and then like you know their their timer is like when it gets dark we're kind of screwed and by the end he's flying through the the surrogate trench uh, in the dark and everything like that's that that was great well and there's also that that terrible but great moment where uh the the final showdown between ren and solo where ray <laughs> yeah. and finn have just opened the door so they've let on they've let the remaining sunlight kind of hit them and as that the the pivotal moment of that scene um, all of the light goes out yeah. and the sun is extinguished. And I'm like, well, it's heavy handed, but in true Star yeah. Wars tradition, it works. Yeah. So, well, and the red light goes on his face when he, you know, when he changes, when he makes it, when it's clear to the audience that he's gripping tightly on the lightsaber and not actually handing it off because then the, the setting sun outside comes through the window and bathes his face in red light again, maybe a little heavy handed, but, uh, it works. That's fine for a Star Wars movie. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a little heavy handed. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think that this is uh, it's the stuff you don't, it's the stuff you don't watch, the stuff you don't you don't uh, think about. You let it go by, and then you just sort of accept the big picture of it, and and uh, that's fine. That's fine. I just again, it's now two movies now where I think J.J. Abrams thinks things are much closer together in space than are actually possible. But it's fine. This is this is J.J.'s midichlorians. Yeah, apparently which is not not nearly as bad as midichlorians. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, are we are we at uh, are we at we could talk about this forever there will be other incomparable episodes about this movie um, but we we have to stop sometime 
and we're we're headed up toward three hours now, so we should probably stop soon. So let's let's go to uh, some some final some final thoughts from all of you. Dan, do you have some final thoughts about the overall picture of this film? I do, uh, and I, I was thinking about this today. Uh, and I've only seen it once. I'm like you guys, uh, haven't had a chance to go again yet. But uh, I was spent a lot of today sort of driving around, and, and I was thinking about it during that period, and I, and I sort of think, well, you know, we talked a little bit in the anticipation podcast about. How are we going to feel if this is just a good movie, a fun movie, and but not necessarily at the level of like the Star Wars movies that we grew up with? And so I found myself wondering, like, well, if you were someone of an age that we were when we saw the original Star Wars movies, and you walked out of this today, what kind of impact would you would that make in your life? How would that? How would this movie uh, make you feel? And 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 the sort of the top thing that came up for me in terms of feeling about that, and we we talked about this a little bit in some of the trailer uh, dissection episodes was if i'm a kid today you know walking out of this star wars movie i think the biggest deal in it for me are the, the fact that the, the main character is a woman mm-hmm. uh, and that the other two main characters are people of color or men of color and i think that's amazing like that's to me that is the biggest sort of uh legacy that this movie can can bring for me is the idea like we have heroes here who are who look like you know, all, all from, from they're from all walks of life. They're from all genders or races. You know, and that's uh, and inclusive in a way that I think Star Wars always meant to be in its spirit, even if it wasn't in its execution. Um, and, and you know, that idea to me sort of encapsulates what Star Wars means and and why it could be as impactful for this you know for this generation for this chapter of it as the originals were, even if they're not that you know as central to to us you know we are all grown up now we are not people we are not kids seeing this for the first time it's never going to impact us for you know our our lives the way that the original did simply because it wasn't there in our formative years as i think we talked about on the anticipation podcast but i i gotta think that the kids going into this today who you know have role models and characters who look like them and you know, answer those questions of like, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend about this and she's like, oh, you know, I always wanted a, a force using like lightsaber wielding woman who I could like use as a, as sort of like a, a role model. And so, you know, it's nice to have that as a, as an option for, for kids growing up today that it's like, it doesn't matter which, you know, it doesn't, nothing, none of this matters. Like you can be a, you can be an awesome Jedi. You can be a, a hero and, and, and you can look like anybody um and so i I think the story is good and it was a fun movie and i enjoyed it but i think that the biggest lasting legacy of it is going to be that diversity of cast um and and having seen now this movie and and sort of equating it to the this is the series a new hope and certainly remixed a lot of the plot elements from a new hope i'm fascinated to see what happens in episode eight Mm. because that is this generation's empire strikes back but you can't do empire strikes back right like it can't it doesn't it's just different enough we we've set off this chain of motion this chain of events in a way that is just different enough that you can't just simply rehash empire strikes back because empire strikes back doesn't necessarily fit all the neat patterns and uh, and sort of tropes in, in a way that i feel like this movie does in some way so i'm fascinated to see it go off in a different direction and to build on what we've seen here and turn this into an entirely different story um and with it with elements of the familiar to be sure but i, I think they've they've really done a great job of setting up a brand new chapter in this in this story that is going to be Hopefully, uh, a great thing in its own right. Serenity, Kylo. Serenity. 
<laughs> the Knights of Ren, they're yours. They're your guys. So take care of them. Oh, uh, what do you What well, do you think? A, we have to have a talk about um, the way that they intimidate students. Uh, yeah, they they need some work. Anyway, what, you, what are your What are your um, thought, overall my, thoughts? Final my thoughts. closing thoughts. I I will return to what I said at the beginning of this podcast. This is a Star Wars film um, in its blood, a hundred percent thoroughly, and I love it for that. I love the fact that it opens up doors. Uh, to where we can potentially go in future installments, to where the extended canon can go. Um, the fact that we have officially a woman who can who can wield the Force, who has in every right just as much a place in the Star Wars canon as Luke Skywalker is incredible and something that I never thought would have happened outside of, you know, Mara Jade EU when I was growing up, you know, Mara, Mara Jade was, was the, was the girl to sort of empathize with, uh, if you were a Star Wars fan in the nineties and two thousands, because, you know, Padme was a waste and, and Leia was awesome, but Leia did not have, you know, Leia was not really actively interested in, in harnessing the force. Um, so, we, you know, you dabbled in EU characters and the fact that there's now a canon character um, in the age of, you know, women, <laughs> more powerful women in Hollywood is is so awesome. And just the entire the entire new cast, you know, you've got you've got a lady um, who is incredibly competent. You've got um, an awesome African-American character in the shape of, of John Boyega and and um, even um Oscar Isaac is Hispanic, I believe. Uh, so you've got these very, very multicultural casts. We made this mistake in in, in uh, the casting story, so I'm going to correct you right now in yeah. the middle of it. John Boyega is English, so he's not African American. He's not yeah, American. They made him do an American <laughs> accent, though. Fair. Right. Yes, I know. I know he's from with, London. Uh, yeah. With yes. Daisy Ridley, have two British. He's Afri- African English. I don't know how you would. I don't know what the uh, okay. politically correct term is there, but yes, know, he and Daisy Ridley were born in the same area of London, which is kind of awesome. Yep. Um, and they're the same age, so <laughs> bringing bringing small worlds and, together. Uh, Oscar Isaac's from Guatemala. He's Guatemalan American, and uh, and uh, a very good actor who's very good in a bunch of other things too. But he's uh, yeah, he's pretty great in this, and I I enjoy Oscar him. Isaac is wonderful. And um, just as a side a side note, if people haven't seen he and um, Daisy Ridley doing a very quick duet of "Baby It's Cold Outside," it's probably one of the few redeeming uh, aspects of, of that, that song. song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very it's very cute. Uh, but but no, I mean I I'm I'm really excited where the next generation of Star Wars is going. I think that they have made a lot of very good steps and inroads into making this making this franchise something that somebody that people can be excited about in the modern age as well as oh these were these movies that came out in the seventies and eighties that were awesome and then had some really terrible EU. Um, they're they're really building the canon back up again. There's a lot for for new fans and old fans alike to be excited about. And moreover, I'm excited for episode eight because, you know, Ryan Johnson, um, who directed Brothers Bloom and Brick and Looper um, and who's just an awesome all around person, um, is making what Larry Kasdan called the weirdest Star Wars movie, <laughs> the, the weirdest little movie. Um, and 
any like that excites me. The idea that, OK, we have the template. We've got this, you know, rehash of the of the New Hope template, which works so well to reintroduce us into this world. Now let's go off on the beaten path and let's just make a let's see some weird stuff. <laughs> Um, I, uh, our, our good friend Moises Chuyan in the, he's lurking in the chat room and, and never to be, uh, never to, to miss an opportunity to point out that Oscar Isaac's, uh, father is Cuban and he grew up in Miami. His mother is from Guatemala and he was born in Guatemala. So Cuban, Guatemalan, Floridian, Oscar Isaac, really good actor. Check him out in Ex Machina, of course. And uh, he was just in a in a the the David Simon uh, Show Me a Hero David Simon uh, miniseries, and is actually quite good in that too. So, for more Oscar Isaac, John, what are your thoughts? Lay it on me. As Dan mentioned before, in the anticipation, the most recent anticipation episode, I was uh, fretting over um, would these movies. would well, these movies be able to recapture the magic of the original trilogy and, and feel like Star Wars movies in that way? And uh, in that way, or would I be okay if they were just good movies? Like if they were like the Star Trek movies, they were good movies in the Star Trek universe, but they didn't didn't feel like the original trilogy. Um, the prequels obviously did not recapture the magic of the original trilogy, uh, and I think this movie did not feel like the uh, original trilogy for me. The difference is that this was not a terrible movie, um, <laughs> and. I think I think basically what I went in a little very scared about my expectations like that that it was that I would be unfair to a movie that was a decent movie because it it wasn't the original trilogy or that I would be disappointed or that my hopes had gotten up too high and I mentioned in the anticipation episode like how I was mentally I had this other compartment for the standalone movies like you know getting the Death Star plans or like you know like the the other thread of mm-hmm. Disney Star Wars movies that is going to be interleaved with this one that those movies I felt so much safer about that I didn't have I wasn't fretting about them I'm like oh well those are just going to be fun movies in the Star Wars universe and if one of them is bad who cares and I like that I didn't have this weight of expectation and even at the end of the first viewing of this movie even during the first viewing of this movie because it was so different and because it was an original trilogy like I started to view this movie with the same sort of lack of unfair expectations about it. I started to view this movie as like, let's just pretend that this is one of those standalone movies. Is this a good, would you be happy with this as a standalone movie? And if the answer is yes, like stop using the original trilogy yardstick because this is a modernized movie. It's modernized in the, and I talked about this, like, yeah, I don't want it to be like a modern reinterpretation. If it's not one of the standalones, I want it to be like the old one. And I talked about in the beginning about the opening shots, not being, you know, they weren't as star Wars as the opening shots in the prequels, but this is modernized in in a bunch of different ways. It's, it's modernized in the film sense sensibility. Um, but it, as you guys have already mentioned, it's modernized in the, the rejection of like gender and racial roles and the rejection of the, the, the sort of class and race hierarchy in Hollywood movies. It's modernized in all of the good ways. Um, and, and that, that modernization is the really, the important part of my, you know, my, my big takeaway of this. I've talked about this on past podcasts about like Pixar movies and everything. At this point in my life, it's fairly impossible for me to look at any movie like this without taking into account and viewing it through the lens of my children, as in how what are my kids going to take away from this? Is this a movie I want to show to my children? And that changing my opinion of of things, because if there's a movie that I really enjoy but wouldn't want to show to my children, it's probably because the movie is like reinforcing uh, bad notions I have uh, about the world. And this movie that I'm going to take my kids to tomorrow 
it's like like it's just so refreshing to see a movie that drops so much of the crap baggage we have that we don't have in things like books. I think I think you know books have and, and for that matter, television shows a lot have come a lot past that. But like it's staking out the territory that used to be the exclusive realm of Star Trek. Imagining a world where either there are societies or at the very least characters who aren't constrained by you know the 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 uh, the the, the, the the world that the viewers are in, like our world and our tropes and our Hollywood movies things and having to have a princess and having to be rescued. And like I said earlier in, in this podcast, not falling into the trap of having to make, having to overcompensate, like just letting the people be people and allowing that to, to be sufficient and not shoving it in people's faces. I mean, in some ways, Mad Max kind of did this too. Like, and when I see that, I think, this is a movie, someone asked me this on Twitter, uh, Twitter that, like people kept asking me, what do you think? What do you think? And I was like, oh, you have to wait for the podcast. One person asked me what I thought was the most salient question, which was, is this a movie you want to show to your kids? Like, that was what they needed to know to, to get my opinion on it. it was, I could give a one-word answer. And the answer is yes, this is a movie I want to show to my kids. Um, both because I think it's a good, exciting movie, and because I think it is a break from the modern Star Trek movies, if anything, if, you know, based on, like, beyond, uh, what do you call it, Into Darkness, with the whole lingerie scene and the waste of, the, of that character Sorry. there. Mm. And... Yeah, and the the diversity represented here, the fact that they don't, like, that it's not a big deal, that there are aliens flying ships, there's a, a man flying an X-Wing, there's a woman flying an X-Wing, there's, you know, like, it's equal opportunity in a way that Star Trek always, you know, in the best of Star Trek was like, yo, we don't have money and everyone is equal and whatever, and now Star Trek seems to be regressing and Star Wars is progressing. So basically what I come away with is there's never going to be another trilogy like the original trilogy. There's never going to be a set of movies that look and feel and act that way. And I'm okay with that now. And for these movies, I'm kind of judging them all by the yardstick of the standalones. Like what I talked about, like a seven, eight, nine have to be different. I've, I've not that I've given up on that. I think I moved beyond that because this is, this is so much better in so many ways than a lot of the things that are in the original trilogy. And as I said in the beginning, it opens more doors than it closes. And that, that gets me excited about the future of this franchise. And I think this, this franchise is headed in positive directions, which is such a refreshing change from the past. So when I, um, and this will be my closing statement, when I, when I uh, opened the, this, uh, I said that this film had two jobs, and one was to tie to the past, and one was to lead the way to the future. And I feel that it did succeed at both of those. And that the ties to the past, and I've seen some people say, well, you know, they're really remixing the plot. It's like, I'm okay that they're remixing the plot of Star Wars with a little bit of Empire Strikes Back thrown in because we it needed to be recognizably Star Wars. And uh, I, I, I think that the next movie needs to not do that, right? The next movie needs to move ahead. But this movie calling back, reminding us why we love the original trilogy, reminding us all the things we love about Star Wars, replaying some of that, I think is perfectly valid and okay. It made that, uh, it, it, it uh, reminded us why we loved it and also got us really excited about where this story was going in the future. I think those were the jobs and it did those jobs. And then the other job that it did is, you know, we can all talk about being kids who grew up loving the original trilogy. Um, and what I will say is that my 14-year-old was sitting next to me in the theater, a jaded freshman in high school, and she kept leaning over to me 
and telling me how awesome the movie was and how great this thing was. And other than the part, because we saw a 3D screening where the, the Star Destroyer was coming out of the screen and she tried to kick it. Because <laughs> it was like it was like right in, like right in above us. So she tried to Did kick it. Did it work? It didn't work. It went right through. Um, but uh, and then my and my son was really excited about it, and I, that also makes me uh, feel happy about this film because it's one thing for us old hands to judge this movie that's full of fan service and old references and say yes, yes, finally you were on the right path. But it's another thing to say, uh, you know, that the fourteen-year-old and the eleven-year-old sitting next to me had a fantastic time at the movies, maybe the best time that I've ever seen my daughter have at a movie, and that it, that makes me. Uh, feel good about Star Wars' future because, as we've said on episodes of The Incomparable about Star Wars in the past, you know, you can make a movie for the fans, um, but what you really need to do is make a movie for the next generation of fans. And if the current generation, who are their parents, it also gets uh, to enjoy that movie, then then you've really done it. And I feel like this movie did that. So I'm, I, uh, you know, big, big thumbs up going in the right direction. Can't wait to see what's next and can't wait to see what's next. coming out of that movie theater, wanting to see the next movie as and, and lamenting how far away the next movie is. That's and, a good and feeling. So soon and so soon a year from now, we'll be dissecting the trailer. Sure. sure we, we, we sure, we sure will. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I didn't feel so much of that with the prequels, but I, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> oh felt another that another one of these with the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I need some time. I need some time to forget before we do, do this again. And no, that didn't happen. We all came out of that movie talking about what happened and where it was going to go next. And boy, that's a good sign. That's a that's a great sign for any to have that level of excitement coming out of the movie as you did as you did going in. All right, I think we've done enough for now. There'll be much more on this in future episodes of The Incomparable. There's no doubt. But I want to thank my uh, my core team, my uh, my uh, the the members of the Resistance who uh, have been talking about this movie for three years, and I believe we've been on basically all of the Star Wars episodes that The Incomparable has done back to the original film. So uh, thank you to you, thanks to you all, Dan Morin. Thanks a lot. Uh, pleasure to be here and the force is strong with all of us serenity caldwell it's time to complete your training (laughs) john syracuse please yeah i'm thinking about this as like phases in life we have the star wars movies then the long wait for the prequels and we all just thought there would be never be another phase this seems like the third and final phase for our lifetimes anyway. Yeah. Star Wars whoa, is back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Star Wars forever. Star Wars eternal. Star Wars is back. Exactly. Like, Star Wars was there. Then it was gone. Then we had the prequels. And it was kind of embarrassing. And, right. And then it was gone again. And it was blessedly gone. <laughs> now it's back. And I think it's just going to be back for the rest of our lives. I and think so. so. Basically, this, hmm. I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is I'm happy that I live to see this movie. Couldn't think of a better way to end than that. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this mammoth, supersized, amazing, three years in the making episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. You're not going to have an after show because I have so much more. <laughs> it's just you and me, John. Yeah, I just missed one bad thing in my bad section. Dude, I'm surprised you guys didn't bring it up. Like, uh, also here, this this ties into my spoiler-free experiment. Like, you know, like, well, Dan said he was trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah. But I was really trying to avoid spoilers. And 
I just think I was just massively successful beyond my wildest dreams. Like not even the things oh, that yeah. were spoiled, I didn't know they were spoiled. Like where's, where's Luke, right? I th- totally thought that was about his absence in the marketing material. So it was, this was a smashing success. Now here's, here's the level of success that my spoiler avoidance has. Not to mention like, I think that I think that it actually helped, but setting that aside, just how good do I avoid them? Not only did I not know anything about this movie, I forgot things that I used to know about this movie. <laughs> I forgot who was in this movie. We had anticipation episodes where we talked about the casting. Yes. When when Kylo Ren takes off his helmet, I was like, I wonder what wonder what that guy's going to look like out of there. I forgot Adam Driver oh, yeah, was Adam in Driver, this movie. Yeah. He's in this movie. I forgot he was in the mm-hmm. movie at all. John Boyega, I totally forgot. I, like, here's the thing. I didn't know how any of the characters sounded in this movie who who I hadn't seen in other movies. I didn't know Daisy Ridley had a British accent. Uh-huh. I didn't even know she was British. John Boyega, I had no idea was British until he missed some of his lines. Yeah. <laughs> he had one or two lines. I'm like, oh, you're one of the rare actors who's British. Oh, I can tell that you're British. Yeah. So he, I mean, he did a really good job, but there's a few takes where they really should have had him, you know, redubbed that because he had a couple of uh, Britishisms and, and accents in there or whatever. Like, it was just everything. I had no idea. Obviously, before you get into the stuff like, do you know Han Solo died? No, of course not. Like, other than like three years ago, I kind of knew he was going to die. But like, sure, nothing was spoiled for this. Me and, and, and I just, I literally, I'm like, oh, there's a uh, Greg Grunberg again. I, had, <laughs> I mean, I knew he was in this movie three years ago. Right now, I had no idea who was well, in this movie. We, like, I think we all knew. I mean, Greg Grunberg is literally in everything JJ yeah, Abrams does. I so I, I yeah. understand the system. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, no, you got to know JJ, and then you're in all his movies. I was, impre- but, but that he seems to have like survived. So I, I feel like he's going to be the new, uh, the new was it is it Wedge who's in all the movies? Yeah, yeah. could be. Yeah. But yeah, like that was the magic of being old. Like the the idea that like seriously on first viewing, I was like, I wonder what, what Kylo Ren would look like under there. I wonder what voice uh, yeah. actor's voice they use for this. Is it the same actor that's going to be inside the mask? I'm like, and then he takes it off. I'm like, oh, that's right, he's in this movie. So had, some combination so awesome. of of memory suppression and isolation. I I will say I totally nailed it. Um, the the spoiler thing. I did watch that tra- that trailer a few times. Um. And I, that was the level that I was I was able to go to, but I otherwise insulated myself. I I read, you know, I read very little, and for the last few weeks I've kind of kept completely like out of it. And then this week, since the screening, I basically was only looking at replies on Twitter, and not anything else. I and I yeah. had I had mute filters and all those things going, and it was great because I went in there having absolutely no idea other than like what we had talked about on the podcast about how you know the the. You know, this is Daisy Ridley and this is John Boyega and he's a stormtrooper because he's got the costume on. And I mean, like, and we know that the original actors are in it, but that is it. I I had no, it was great. It was great. Like, like I said, Lauren said, uh, um, I don't know what the crawl is going to say. (laughs) It's like, that is, that's kind of a fun thing. And I saw it in the same theater. I saw episode one. So I had that moment of like, <laughs> I remember how exciting it was. We didn't even talk about the fact they didn't even do a, no Disney, fanfare. a Disney fanfare. Yeah. There was no fanfare. It was just Lucasfilm, which is good because yeah. there was like 20 minutes of trailers before it. Yeah, I wish they would have. They should have just paid Fox. Can we just use your thing? Seriously, just let us use it. We'll just use the fanfare. We'll see, put your logo see, up there. I figured that, that John Williams should orchestrate a version of the of the When You Wish Upon a Star uh, Disney no, fanfare no. in the style of the 20th century Fox fanfare, but instead, I think they made a good choice. To yep, have just nothing. 
Star yeah, Wars music that, is a good. Let's do the Star Wars music. Yeah, for future reference for like my spoiler avoidance, like because it was so difficult here. Really, what I should have done is what many people said they did, which is like in the weeks or so leading up to it, stop reading Twitter, stop reading the internet, stop doing that stuff entirely. But instead, like you, because I don't know, I'm addicted to Twitter or whatever. Instead, I took the filter approach. By like and and like I had a set of filters that just kept growing and growing. By the days before I went to see this movie, my my Twitter mute filters had words like line and movie in them, <laughs> including including misspellings like ticket ticks. Like I was like anything that could be remotely because I was always thinking about what is that one tweet that is not going to have any Star Wars related words in it, but is going to manage. It was like a game. Like, is it possible to spoil this without putting a thing? And like any like when the word line who knows how many tweets i missed over these past few days and really it's so stupid i should have just stopped reading twitter entirely but instead i just kept adding filters every time i thought of a conceivable tweet and like i'm so glad that i didn't watch the other trailer because i had my brain had nothing to work on other than you know like i said three years ago seems like han's gonna die because he doesn't want to be in these movies anyway like other than that, like even John Boyega, I didn't even like, oh, well, he's in a Stormtrooper outfit. I remember us discussing, well, so what? Luke and Han are in Stormtrooper outfits mm. in A New Hope. They weren't actually Stormtroopers. Maybe he was in disguise and just trying to escape or whatever. Like nothing. I knew nothing about it. And it was so awesome. Like I didn't think like <laughs> maybe it won't make a difference because once you see it once, then you know anyway. And who cares? Like it, like as I tweeted, I retweeted something that someone said, like movies are not plot de- delivery services. The point is not that the events that happen. It's how the story is told. And I totally believe that. But. There's something like refreshing and old fashioned about just like going in like my kids are going to go in again. You know, they're going to go to see this movie and my daughter hasn't seen seen any of the trailers. She's been wearing Ray pajamas for like the past three months. Like it's got, you know, Ray with her staff or whatever. She wears them to bed all the time. She has no idea who that is. Um, She's not interested enough. My son has seen the trailers because I've, you know, he's seen them sort of secretly on his own as I see them like the the end YouTube things during that he's just finished watching it. Um, so he may be a little bit more excited, but they have no idea what this, what's in this thing. So they're, I like the idea that I went in in the same kind of mindset that the, they're going to go in not knowing what they're in for in the same way that I had no idea what I was in for when I went into Star Wars. So this was a a smashing success uh, mm. and, you know, would recommend, would do again. <laughs> the, uh, the spoiler avoidance. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I did that. I said this on the Doctor Who uh, flashcast this year that in past years I... I uh, gone to Gallifrey Base and I read the spoiler threads and it was kind of fun. And this year, I think it's because I don't have a I don't have a desk job anymore. And I, I, I used to I mean, I have a desk job here, but I don't have like a commute job where I used to like my lunch break was reading the spoiler forums. It's like I would get my sandwich and I would sit at my desk and that would be my break from the actual work work. And I kind of don't do that anymore because I, I can go in the house and make a sandwich and I come back out and work or I watch TV your for whole, 20 your minutes. Your whole life or, is a break. It is exactly right. It's all I can just do whatever. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, but it, it, regardless, the, the, the end product was that I had no idea what happened and it was fun. It's like, oh, this is how people live. They don't know what's yeah. happening. And then somebody tells them a story and they don't have any expectations. Uh, it's it, nice. It, it's a good thing that I'm not as big a Doctor Who fan because the trail, the interminable trailers before The Force Awakens included spoilers for the Christmas special. And I'm not done oh, really? with the season yet. Yes. I'm not done with the season yet. Oh. So I don't know if if I had finished the season, then there's, this wouldn't have been a spoiler. There's lots of twists. There's lots of twists and turns though in that season. So you you may not f- end up feeling as spoiled as you thought. But yeah. But but I am. But I am now. Because the whole point is like I'm not done with the season, and yet the Christmas special thing came up, and they showed things. They revealed things like oh. they were excitedly revealing things in the Christmas special that they kind of knew was like you didn't know this would happen. I was like seriously, I don't care that much about Doctor Who. Yeah. It's not a big deal. But I, I felt like I, I avoided spoilers so well, and they're like, well. 
well, you managed to avoid Star Wars spoilers, but we're going to spoil a damn Christmas special. Yeah, spoil everything else, but not Star Wars. I'm not going to be caught up by Christmas, probably. That's the problem. I'm just yeah. going to TiVo the Christmas special and watch it like a month from now. Sure, that's fine. It snows in Massachusetts. Just uh, it'll it'll seem snowy at a later mm-hmm. time. That's fine. But yeah, the no spoiler thing is it's it's kind of nice. Yeah, can't can't always do it for everything. But uh, living the yeah, unspoiled like, life was was kind of pretty pretty good. Yeah, so, it's so, too much work. So so the the trailer, you you're glad you didn't watch it. Yes, very glad. So because what, like I said, I didn't I didn't even know what their voices sounded like, and they speak in the second. Trailer. Yeah, that's true. Like it was just totally like I, I, I didn't know what half of them looked like, you know, because not all of them are even in the first trailer. And that boy, that trailer was good. That trailer was better than the movie. I, I would have said that in the podcast. In, in addition to all the other things, like that second trailer is better. That it's not. It's easy to do that. Most trailers are better than the movies. They should be. That's their job. Of course, the trailer is better than the movie. But this trailer was better than the movie. Well, it's not in the old days. It wasn't. Every trailer for the original Star Wars was crap, and it yeah. was really good <laughs> back before they knew how to make trailers. But nowadays, they have, like like they have with junk food that is you know made to be it's incredibly addicting. You know, yeah, engineered to like trailers are, and that second trailer just boy, yeah, I just watched that over and over. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good, good trailer. All right, so we're to the next one now. What's so, the next? What's the next movie? It's going to be the uh, the Death Star plans. The, one? Yeah, it's the the rogue squadron or whatever it is it's the death star plans standalone um, and then the year after that is eight yeah sign rogue me up. one rogue it. one is the name of it um and that's the one that uh the john Knoll had the idea for the story which was basically why don't you tell the story of the stealing of the death star plans and uh yeah uh that's got another uh, another woman in in a lead role felicity jones yeah, no, that's just so like I don't know why I care so much about that, but I think it's just like boredom with the same story and the same meathead characters and the same yeah. roles. For, it's just yeah, like well, the so variety same. is and nice. The, the comparison is to books where you don't have that sameness as much. So you have so right. much more variety in books because I guess there's just more diversity of things that are able to be sold. But you get books about all sorts of things and the movies just like write down. And it's great that this, you know, that, that this sort of change is happening within the realm of like the most rote thing that Hollywood does which is like giant franchises and sequels and using that as a vehicle to tell different kinds of stories is a really interesting hack of the system um firefly crossover there too alan tudyk is in is in uh rogue one yeah so you get your get some, you got your wash in my uh in my star, in my Bothan spies. Well, well, who who knows what kind of role? Like some yeah. of the characters that I saw in the Force Awakens, I'm like, oh, I remember when I read they were in casting, but they're like they have one line or in the, they're in the background uh, of a scene, right? Or or it's Lupita Nyong'o. She's a voice in an orange CGI yeah. alien. Yeah, that was one of the uh, I, you know, things in my notes I didn't get to. Is like one of the weaknesses of the Force Awakens is there are a lot of moving parts, kind of like the Avengers. There's a lot of moving parts, mm-hmm. a lot of characters, and a lot of the story beats don't quite work yep. the way they they should like for example the the best example is the blowing up of the star killer thing that's not really a triumphant moment it's not intended to be a triumphant moment it echoes the triumphant moments of other movies where they blow off the death star but but at that point it becomes very clear to us that we don't really care about the conflict that much between the resistance and the first order what we care about is the state of our characters and we just yeah. seen han die so we're sad and we're all we really like we're like finn we care about are you rescuing ray because we care about ray right. at this point we care less about and the thing the hack of of the original trilogy is 
the Luke Vader dynamic, which is by the way, the why eight can't be like a, uh, like a empire is because the Luke Vader dynamic and the father son dynamic, that's the good, bad axis there. That is our proxy for, we care about the larger good, bad battle because we care about the smaller Luke Vader battle because that's our, that's our thing to hang on to here. And here I care about Daisy. I care about her safety and her, her growth and her success and her friends and her getting off of that stupid planet. Right. And getting enough food to eat. That's what I care about. That's what Finn cares about. And that's why the the thread, the other thread, like I think the thread that feels the most kind of like off to the side is the Poe thread. Like he's cool and I like him and it's good that he's fighting the resistance, but he doesn't he doesn't have a close connection with the other people, right. so he's not kind of part of that quartet in the uh, Dark Tower yeah. parlance that you'll he's, learn about someday. I, no, I, 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 I got that reference. Um, he, uh, I think the tie there is that he's tied to BB-8 and they're tied to BB-8, and then he's tied to to Finn. In that they have had they had that yeah, bonding no, the, moment in the Tie Fighter, right? So there's yeah, there's a connection, like, but, it, but it's not super it's not super tight. And that that's one of those questions, like, well, where where are they going to go with this? How do these characters move forward? Like, because they're not all together, right? Yeah, and I feel like they can they can move leave some behind or have them be minor and have them come back. Like they don't have to keep them together, but just for an individual story structure, like it suffers from the same problem as the Avengers or any other movie that has a lot of characters, all of which are like, well, but these are all I I care about all these characters, all kind of part. And then it's like, well, now we don't have enough minutes to establish. You know, you have to spend your minutes somewhere, and mm-hmm. they I think they wisely spent a lot of them on Ray. But then it's like, it's almost as if this would have been a better movie if you cut out some threads and simplified it. But that's not the movie they were yeah. making because they had to set up a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I, so it, it I agree reads more like a middle movie than a first movie. Uh, well, Shinohara said in the chat room, and I agree with this too, is that the end of this movie is kind of feels a little more like Empire than it does yeah, the original the whole, Star Yeah, the whole movie does because they, yeah. they come to a story in progress with stuff you don't know. And like, and it ends on, that's why the second movie can't be Empire. Because it, it can't be yeah. Empire because it's not like these, it's not like we separated these two guys well, and they're like, now on the next episode, Ray and. Pop- and Kylo are going to have their it'll, epic battle. It, no, it'll they be don't part, even have much of a connection. It'll be part of like Empire, though, because of the training thing. I think that one, you know, there's going to well, be a Yoda esque kind of like, well, you know, well, light and dark training, unless they skip ahead, right? And it's they're like now they're trained. trained. Yeah. But see, that's the thing with they're already trained. Like, there's no, as far as we know right now, there is no actual connection between them. Like they right. fought each other only because they were they were at odds at the place where they were. But it's not like there was a father son connection. Like there was a connection no. between Ren and Solo. Uh, they had that conversation in this movie. Other than the, I think maybe it's just the poles of dark and light that they're yeah. the they're these are the two like powers lurking under the surface of whatever political things are going on. That is like the part that we care about. But it's going to be interesting, and it's a lot sooner because they shifted. This movie got pushed back to December, and right. episode eight is in May of seventeen. So it is like a year and a half away. It's pretty yeah, funny. And, and- and Ray's like come of the some of the Ray theories like oh she's the twin sister to uh, to Ben Solo ass- which doesn't doesn't really make any sense I, in the I, context of the movie. I think if she's any if, if she's anything that uh, related to people we know, which I think is the strong implication, I, everybody assumes that she's Luke's daughter, yeah. and that there mm-hmm. may be things that that maybe Leia knows and Han knew, or maybe not. Maybe this is it like doesn't a, seem like they know like a private thing about like what Luke's deal was as a jedi and this was a thing that that was out there and it's just kind of like not not addressed but that'll be interesting to see because they it is not addressed it's just there's lots of implications and like the original right where it's like i don't know we'll see yeah there's no there's no (laughs) mentioning of uh, there's there's no ambiguity about luke's parentage in a new hope right it's not even a question it's like 
it's just we we know everything's all there and then you're surprised later here we have the questions because we're primed for it but like the, you know again the obvious ray thing is like she's luke's daughter and i always imagine it's like but boy aren't, aren't the jedi not supposed to you know have attachments and wives and children i just imagine like the first thing luke does after blowing up the the death star and jedi is sort of have a coruscant three is like the equivalent of vatican two where he rejiggers the jedi rule book mm. says you know what we're allowed to get married and have kids and women can be well i guess women sure. can already be jedis but you know it's the, it's the equivalent of vatican two where it's like i can i can make the rules that now who says i can't have a child um i like that much better than the like oh luke had an illicit child and had to hide her which is so terrible because it's like who's stupid religious order rules are you are you following when you're yeah. the last jedi um the other spoiler thing that i didn't hear anywhere but my brain having so little to work on had to work on something and one of its pet things that it was working on i think maybe based on something someone tweeted at some point like someone tweeted something about well the signs were always there i think that's the only thing i read that could be considered a spoiler what my brain worked on that is in episode seven luke has gone to the dark side and he has turned evil, yeah. and he is, the big, he is the big bad in the new series of movies. And I had basically come to terms with that and said, that is a plausible thing that could happen, because he came really close to turning to the dark side. He essentially did fall and was sort of redeemed by us. In the end, he came out ahead, but he's susceptible to it. And if you're the only Jedi left, and maybe you're asked to do very difficult things, you could become the big bad. I'm glad, though, that they didn't go in that direction, yeah. because it took a lot of uh, work for me to become okay with that. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see. I assume that I, I'm very surprised that he has no no dialogue. That 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 was it actually kind of was <laughs> the ultimate troll. I know it kind of tickled ultimate. me in the end. I was like, oh, that's it kind was, of funny. Yes. He never does. He never even says and, a word. And, he, and he's a good MacGuffin for the movie. Like, yes, Luke Skywalker is vanished. He's the MacGuffin for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And like they could have like here's the thing. When I was watching the movie, I'm like, so I, I kind of knew from from the timing, like looking at your watch, are they gonna end? with like i'm going out to find luke or are they actually going to go find luke and i'm glad they did because the big payoff which i love the fact that they didn't hammer home and half the people aren't going to get it is like pan up to an ocean with an island and they, yeah. that's you know you're supposed to get that and if it lands it's like oh yes i see that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. and so they did go there and they get there i mean obviously there's no time for there to be anything but the question is do they get does they get one line of dialogue do they get two instead they put that freaking helicopter shot in and i gotta smack him Oh, maybe I'll cut that out of the special edition, right? <laughs> they make the special edition of these. George Lucas will make special oh, editions. So. Nope. Let's hope not. Yeah. That's the other refreshing thing. It's nice to think that I won't have to endure special editions of these. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just the movie I saw is the movie I'm going to be That's able to That's a movie now. That's totally the movie now. They'll put some bonus <sighs> stuff on the on the DVD or something. But no, it's a good movie. You know, it's a good movie using and it uses Star Wars stuff and it uses it mostly right. And it the stuff that it adds or modernizes, it does in ways that seem like, you know, it's kind of like divining the original intent of the framers of the Constitution. It's like, yeah, that's sort of like how a TIE fighter would work. Yeah. But cut out out the slavery part, because seriously, yeah, like, yeah, well, they had slaves, but we, you know, the modern version is not going to be like, oh, it's okay to have slaves. Yeah. You know, but they just follow the. They follow the things along, and and uh, that's good. That's good stuff. Well, they're kind of kind of wasted. Brienne of Tarth. I feel bad. I hope she. Is, yeah. Uh, well, I, I I feel like that's the, that's, that's a Boba Fett kind of thing where they put her in there and then they bring her back and give her more to do. I don't know. Oh, she she was there as a foil for Finn to have I one do, or two funny scenes. I really enjoy that scene where he's really mad at her. He's like, "What yeah. do you think now, Phasma? Huh? <laughs> he's like, yeah. hey, to- "Bring it down, kid." <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, oh, yeah. that was that's console a voice of reason <laughs> but uh you know and then and you also get the payoff of him working in uh, sanitation 
He's like, there is a trash <laughs> yeah, compactor. Yeah, it's like, do you have I know where that bags? is. We do. Like, that's, <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's another thing I forgot to mention with this thing. So, uh, a key element, I think, of Star Wars, especially the original trilogy, some of the writing is not all that great. And the difference is that the actors are able they're able to sell lines that on the page don't have much to them just through their performances. And there were a whole bunch of those in the force awake. It's like, you just said one, like, you know, uh, he was in sanitation. That's established earlier. It's like, does this place have trash compactors? Like in a lesser movie, that would be the punchline. Oh, isn't it funny? He's making a reference. Cause he once went down a garbage chute into a trash compactor. And the, the, the line from Finn is like either is it just we do or you know what we do or like whatever it is. It's just a, it's just a confirmation line. It shouldn't be a subsequent punchline on the page. It's just like confirmation. Oh, we do. But the way he says it is he, he is acknowledging the, the, the back reference that he knows that they have trash compactors because he was the trash guy all delivered in him just saying we do. And yeah. that's what it takes to elevate dialogue that would otherwise kind of like lay there on the page. Han has a few good ones too, where his actual line is like, if I had to read it for a radio show, it would go nowhere because I'm not an actor. And he manages to sell the most simple line in a way that adds meaning to it. Meaning coming from, maybe it's coming from the director. Maybe someone is there telling him what he's supposed to feel about it, but they're able to elevate the script a script that is already pretty good i think like the script is pretty good there's yeah. creaky parts here and there there's a couple scenes that that don't quite work or sure down. you gotta explain there's... 20 years of of uh of semi-broken um relationship with with dia- in dialogue in one scene yeah. right and, the, and people i've seen people complaining about the han and leia dialogue and it's like yeah i it's thought tough. it was fine for what it had to do which is a lot right it had to i mean they had to expose that whole backstory in that dialogue it's tough yeah and again both both actors being uh, older now like it's difficult to walk the line of how would people this age i'm kind of glad they didn't have them do a big smoochy romantic kiss just mm-hmm. because I, I feel like people who've been apart that far they're basically estranged it's yeah. not it's not appropriate and the same thing with with the other leads like whatever you know crush finn has on ray she's not sending that back his way so thank right. god they didn't kiss at any point in this movie because they're supposed to or because you know they're the male and female leads like lots of uh pitfalls were avoided yeah i agree well so your kids are going to see it tomorrow yeah, my, well, my daughter has been anti-Star Wars lately because uh, my son watches Star Wars on the downstairs TV and kicks her off of it. He's like, he's watching that stupid Star Wars. But like I said, she's been wearing the Ray pajamas. I don't think she knows that it's Star Wars or who that person is. I asked her about it the other day. Like, who's that on your pajamas? She didn't know. Hmm. But I like the idea. Like, she's also very fidgety in movies. So half the problem with her is like, can you sit still for the length of a movie? But I hope she will connect with it in the way... You know, like what I hope is that I'm bringing her up in in a media environment so far where there's nothing extraordinary about this movie in terms of representation. Like, that's what I hope. That's yeah. what I hope from like having her watch Miyazaki movies just over and over and over and over again. So it's, as far as she was concerned, every single movie has a female lead who's competent. Sure. And the other ones are an aberration. But I don't know because she also goes to school and has friends and is subject to the wider world. So, yeah. All right, get some sleep. You, yeah. Well, I gotta wake up tomorrow and go see Star Wars. I, I, I saw it. I saw it twice in like an eighteen-hour period. <laughs> it's pretty, wa- yeah. pretty wacky. Me too. Me too. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Nine thirty a.m. movie screening. I'm not sure I've done that before. The theater's really far away from me and close to Dan, but it's a place where I could get tickets. Uh, yeah, I just, I just bought. They, they had seats at this one at nine thirty in the morning, so it was easy. 
Yeah, that's what, that's what I was telling you. Like we we struggled so much to get these tickets on the day they were out, but if we just waited two days, they added so many shows that you could yeah. easily get one for some ungodly hour. You know. Yeah. All right. Good night. All right. Night.